Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of professional wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. How are you? Do you sound a little, little, little like a little cold or something? Man, I'm all right. I, uh, I woke up a little stuffy this morning, but it's today's really more about you. How'd you wake up this morning on your big birthday, birthday boy? <laughs> uh, I woke up pretty good. I woke up. That's always a good sign. That is a good sign. Well, welcome to 2024. Welcome to the first edition of Grilling JR in the new year. Jim, how many years young are you today? 72. 72. How about it? What do you hope to do uh, at 72 years old? Do you have any goals or New Year's resolutions this year for 2024? Yeah, get healthy. There you go. Get totally healthy and uh, get back to work. That's what I'd like to do. Perfect world. So we'll see how it works out. I'm optimistic and, uh, things are improving. So it's all good. You know, you're on the right meds, you get the right doctors. Uh, sometimes, uh, things, good things happen. So that's what I'm hoping for. Good things happening. Well, I think you and I both wish that we would have had some more good things happen since we've talked last, both Alabama and Oklahoma lost their postseason matchups. My Crimson yeah. Tide went down in the playoffs to Michigan in overtime. Great game to great, watch. And great game. Arizona, man, they came prepared for you guys at Oklahoma. Arizona got the dub last Thursday. Um, what do you expect for uh, next year, man? It's going to be weird for both of us. You know, Oklahoma and Alabama and the SEC. That's going to be fun. Yeah, and they play each other in Norman. On, uh, I believe it's the, uh, Thanksgiving week. Oh yeah. So that, that, that game will get a lot of uh, hype. Oh yeah. A lot of promotion. So it'll be, it'll be fun in that respect. All good, man. We, uh, we got to talk about, you know, your, your health update. You said trying to get healthy. Can you give everybody an update as to, to where you are and what that's looking like? I mean, I, I see you're back in Florida, so. I assume yeah. everything went well in Oklahoma and you're back in your Great. routine, but what's, uh, what's the latest with JR's health these days? It's pretty good. Uh, uh, you know, I got an MRI yesterday. They had to make sure that nothing was wrong with the, the bone in my tibia. It's where that, uh, mm-hmm. radiation issue is located. So, uh, I haven't got the results of that back yet. I got it, had it done yesterday. So, uh, sooner or later we'll get the results of that. Don't feel like there's anything to be worried about, but, uh, my doctor just wants to be more cautious than not. So, uh, but it's it, that the wound is healing, but it's just, you know, as long as this blood sugar issue is, is, is prominent, uh, it's going to be hard to heal. I wish we'd have known that a year ago. Uh, but in any event, it's what it is. And, uh, and I, and I'll just make, make it work. I saw a, it's always, always been my uh, mantra. So I use mantra once today. Uh, it's always been my mantra to overcome adversity. And uh, that's something we all can do. Oh, yeah. In our own little world. So uh, so it's all good. You know, it's the, the wound is still there. It still hurts. Uh, but, you know, hey, I, I've kind of gotten adjusted to it. Uh, in a way, which sounds more of it as hell, but it's what it is. You know, you just, you got to keep fighting. Yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep fighting and, and, uh, and get past this thing. You know, I had a, 
had a great time in Oklahoma. Oh, Tony Khan let me sit in on a match. Uh, the other, the, uh, announcers it was kind of cool. Uh, and fans were ha- seemingly happy to see me, which made me feel great. Yes. So, so it was all good. You know, so it's all good. It's just a matter of continuing to battle, stay positive and, uh, and, and get to the finish line. So. That's where we are now. We're just, we're in route to the finish line. We're not there yet, but we're closer than we've ever been. And, uh, so therefore I don't know exactly when I'm coming back on the air, but, uh, you know, sooner than later, hopefully. Well, let's talk about, uh, first of all, amen to that roll tide. We all agree. We want you back on the air sooner rather than later. You know, I think for a lot of wrestling fans, myself included, your voice is just synonymous with professional wrestling. You're the Keith Jackson of, of wrestling and the idea that, <laughs> you know, we've got you uh, on the mend and, and hopefully back sooner rather than later is awfully exciting. And there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in wrestling. Let's go back a few days and talk about last weekend's big pay-per-view. We finished the year pretty strong for AEW with world's end. I thought it was a, a really fun pay-per-view. I enjoyed the show. And, yeah, uh, when we- it was all said and done, we found the big reveal. Who is the devil? It is, in fact, Adam Cole. You and I are recording on a Wednesday morning, so in advance of the dynamite that, as you're listening to this, you saw last night. But what do you think of the big reveal that the devil is uh, is Adam Cole? Uh, I was good with it. You know, uh, it, it, all those guys that you can see on your screen uh, is uh, they they all need to be booked. They all need to be utilized, and uh, so that's where we are. So you, what you've got there, you get five guys. Uh, that are all important to the company. They haven't had any s- strong, uh, I don't want to say direction, but they haven't had an identity. So, uh, um, um, just give us five guys right there on the screen, an opportunity to quote unquote, get over. And, uh, all of them are good hands. They all deserve an opportunity. So, uh, run with the ball fellas. That's what you got to do. And you know, when we, when that was reveal was done because of his hair, I guess I didn't even recognize Wardlow uh, mm. and, uh, Wardlow in that group is uh, impressive. So you got to wonder, okay, of all, without getting too premature, uh, you got to wonder who, who's going to separate from the pack and, and spin out as a, as a single star Wardlow would get my money. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see how it works out, but it's a good opportunity for, to establish another faction. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm optimistic, you know, I, you know, I'm going to stay optimistic in that respect. Uh, I don't know what the game plan is, the booking strategy, uh, and all that stuff is going to be, which is great for me. I'd, I'd, I'd rather not know. And, uh, so that's kind of where we are, man. It's just, it's, uh, kind of a unknown in unknown territory. So we'll see how it works out. I I'm, I'm like I said, I'm optimistic for it. It seems like that AEW kind of ended the year with some momentum. Yeah. Uh, you know, selling out, uh, the arena there on, uh, that they did, which was a great accomplishment. You know, I, uh, I talked to Raphael Morphy just left the company, uh, for another job. It's going to be running the, uh, I guess it's the, what is it, the Barclays Center? Yeah, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Yes, sir. Yeah. So 
that's a that's a marquee uh, venue. Uh, and so he's going to be doing that. And uh, there's a lot of rumor and innuendo, as I like to say, Connie. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. I, I'm uh, I'm optimistic, as I said, uh, this whole thing's going to get over. And uh, so we'll see how it works out. You know, it's it's a uh, it's it's going to be an interesting journey for these fellas. And again, it, it provides opportunity for some really good uh, in-ring talents to to establish themselves and they and, the, and their game, how they how they perform, how they deliver. So it's, it should be fun. It should be fun, and it's it's the end of a long story. That story was told for a long time, mm-hmm. and so sometimes when you get in that situation. It's hard to live up to the hype. Mm. I think these guys can live up to the hype because they're hungry. They're, they're, they're talented. They're skilled. So let's see where it takes us. I'm like you. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I was excited to see Wardlow in there. I think Wardlow, once upon a time, was just super, super hot, and I'm excited to see that he's back in the mix in a big way again. Yeah. And Of course, MJF is, uh, I guess, off the AEW roster on the website, and there's lots of rumor and innuendo that he may or may not need surgery, and will he rehab it? Will he do surgery? So stay tuned for what's next for MJF, but we do know that we have a new world champion in Samoa Joe, and I know that you're a fan of of Joe's work and Joe's presentation. He feels like an an old-school territory guy. If Bill Watts was booking the UWF back in the day and Samoa Joe was available, he'd be booked pretty regular, wouldn't he? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Joe's been over the years has proven to be very durable and his work is believable. Uh, so I, I'm a big Samoa Joe uh, proponent. Uh, he's, he's the right man for the job. It seems like, uh, he can have good matches with just about anybody as a baby face or a heel, which is important. Have that, have that, uh, uh, you know, the ability to dance with, with different partners. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I like that, uh, that move. I like the fact that Joe's a champion and I like the fact that he's has the ability to work with just about anybody. So, uh, and, and he, he's a veteran, he provides leadership, uh, physicality. Again, you can't see through his work. It's he's, he's strong in that regard. So, and, and good for him, you know, good for Joe. He's He's the kind of guy you want to be, uh, pulling a wagon and cause he can, not only is he strong enough to pull the wagon, but he's uh, smart enough and, uh, as a veteran, uh, to make it work for him and the company more. Well, I'm excited to see what's next in the Samoa Joe era. Uh, he has a, a certain era of believability. And as I said, he feels like an old school territory guy. And so does the new triple crown champion, the continental champion, I suppose we'll call it. Eddie Kingston, Eddie picked up yeah. a win at the pay-per-view over John Moxley. You want to talk about a guy who, uh, feels like an old school territory wrestler. That's the guy he's now a ring of honor champion, new Japan, strong champion and AEW continental champion. So sort of a triple crown here in America, who better than Eddie Kingston? I mean, I, I really enjoyed his presentation, enjoyed the match, enjoyed the story. It was a yeah. fun show for me. I'd love to call that match because it just had so much, uh, psychology sound and believable psychology. And, uh, I was, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Eddie's passion and his work ethic. So, uh, good for him. Congratulations to Eddie. He's paid his dues more, more times than not. 
so uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm happy for Eddie Kingston. He finally got a, you know, after all these years, you know, I didn't even this maybe speaks to my ignorance. I wasn't even aware of who Eddie Kingston was until he came to AEW. Mm. I know, I know he'd had a great career on the Indies and stuff, but you know, sometimes we don't have the opportunity to see the, uh, the results of those indie shows. They're just not distributed. Like they're better now because of streaming and things of that nature. Right. But, uh, but I wasn't really aware of Eddie's work body of work. Uh, and then when he came in, he had a, he had a couple of really good matches to start off his run at AEW. And, uh, so he's, he's right place, right time. Good for Eddie. Uh, let's see where this thing takes us. Should be a fun little ride. No doubt. He, he he's just going to always give you the great passion. Uh, no bullshit. He's, he's, uh, I think he's just absolutely, uh, uh, a gem G E M of a find, frankly. Uh, he's, he's not an overnight sensation, obviously, but he certainly is a deserving of, a uh, of, of advancement. And, uh, well, ho- hopefully he's going to do well. It's, it's always, it's interesting. It seems like AEW is kind of resetting the table. Yep. Re- restarting, so to speak, maybe. Uh, and I think that's smart. I think that's a good deal. Give everybody a, a different Jersey and give everybody a different, uh, uh, you know, a different role and, uh, let's just hope they all live up to the hype of the role. And it seems like that uh, we are, and, uh, it's exciting to be a part of it. And I'm happy to be a part of it. I like that. You said, uh, he's not an overnight sensation talking about Eddie Kingston because our pal, Jeff Jones, uh, tweeted a picture or maybe it was on Instagram of uh, him and Eddie a few days ago. And they said, here's me and my pal, Eddie Kingston, the 19 year overnight sensation. Oh yeah. Uh, so he's been at it quite a while. And so has our pal Andrade. Uh, he joins a list of other folks whose contract expired at the end of the year with AW. You mentioned Rafael Morphy. I want to talk about Rafael, but first I want to get your take on Andrade. You know, he's finished up here with, with AEW and a lot of people are wondering, Hey, where does, where does that leave him? Is he headed back to WWE where his wife, Charlotte Flair is, or will he spend more time in CMLL, which we certainly saw him do a lot in the last few weeks. What would you expect would be next for Andrade, and what do you think uh, his ceiling is in American professional wrestling, if there is one? Well, we ha- we haven't seen the ceiling yet, Connie. In my opinion, uh, the, the guy's really good, and uh, and, and losing him is unfortunate for AEW because he he always gave quality work, a very skilled guy, and uh, but if I was guessing, and, and that's what we're doing here, because I don't have any 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 clue as to what his future holds. I'd say it's WWE. Uh, yeah, if you know, they're always looking for quality talents, uh, Andrade is a quality talent and, uh, certainly has earned his opportunities to move up the cards, whatever company he's working with. He's a main event skill set guy, no matter what, uh, so, but if I were a betting man, I would certainly, uh, lean toward, uh, uh, Andrade there to be a, uh, a WWE guy sooner than later. They're doing a lot of nice things with their Latin athletes. He fits the bill right there very well. Talk wrestle. Uh, and so I'm a, I'm a fan of his work and sorry to see him leave, but, uh, you know, he fulfilled all his obligations and 
and did a did a hell of a job for us. You know, he he kind of came in under the radar. I wasn't that familiar with his work either. Uh, I'd seen him wrestle several times, but I just hadn't paid a lot of attention for whatever reason. But he's a he's a keeper, no doubt about it. And so I'm thinking, uh, if WWE is like they have been, and and uh, you know they they just that's a that's a that's a that's a, a layup, I think. It's just really really good in that regard. So we'll see how it works out. Quality talents always rise to the top. You're good enough. You're going to get noticed in the right way. And I think uh, Andrade used AEW to get noticed and develop, continue to develop his work. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him and, and, uh, and Charlotte, they're going to, you know, maybe they're going to be able to spend some additional time together because of uh, her injury, which is going to be a while apparently. And, uh, so, you know, good for him. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a classy guy, good worker. And, uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad he, I'm glad that he was here for a while. He helped the company and, uh, that's what you look for. Absolutely. And, uh, speaking of helping the company and WWE, we should talk about the fact that this past Monday night, the rock made a surprise return to WWE. He was at the Monday night raw in San Diego. I say surprise, but if you saw the photos, I guess maybe of rock and Pasadena at the Rose bowl and Nick Khan hanging right in the background, maybe you could put two and two together. But he's back in the WWE, had a great promo on Jinder Mahal, had a little physicality, and then, of course, at the end, cut a little promo saying he's going to go out to dinner. Should he sit in a booth? Should he sit at the bar? Or should he sit at the head of the table? And, boy, they got people talking about, is that the WrestleMania main event? Or will he be in Australia at the Elimination Chamber? I think it's... uh, Pretty clear to see WWE is prioritizing international PLEs. I think there's been rumor and innuendo they're going to do one in France, they're going to do one in Germany, and we know they're doing one in Australia. Right. And they're probably going to be running stadiums, and all of those stands to reason to me that maybe we see something with The Rock in Australia. What say you? Are you were you surprised to see Rock back, and would you be surprised to see him in Australia? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, wholeheartedly, but to some degree, yes. Uh, which is a kind of a screwy answer sitting on the fence. Uh, I think you've got to get him back in the, he's got to earn, if he's going to work, wrestle Roman Reigns, uh, is, is rock going to be uh, the fan favorite? Uh, is he going to be, you know, he's, he needs to do something. I think other than just show up, uh, even though he's got the star power to show up and contribute. Uh, I was a little surprised, quite frankly, that, that he's, uh, uh, back in the hunt for a spot. So, uh, we'll see how it works out, but I, I'm, a I'm a fan, you know, I signed the rock. I was been involved in his career since day one. He was nice enough to write a, a forward to our book. That's on the cover of our new book that's out in April. So, uh, but you can pre-order the book now, as a matter of fact, without being too overly Hype machine, but uh, he's uh, hey, anytime you get the rock, you get some time from the, from the rock. It's that's a win. That's a win. Now, how they get to the end result, you know, the end result has got to be WrestleMania. Obviously, that's not a it take a strategist to figure that one out. But uh, see how it works out. I, I but uh, getting a rock on TV and getting him 
re-engaged in a storyline. And it seems like the Roman Reigns thing is a, is a perfect place for it. It might not do uh, the Cody Rhodes fans a lot of favors because I still think people are, some people are uh, still a little miffed that, uh, that, uh, Roman, uh, be Cody in the last WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we'll see how, how there's gotta be another piece to the journey. There's gotta be another stop off and, you know, winning the, uh, elimination chamber is one way of doing that. But can you get another match? Is that, that means the two matches out of the rock, uh, and is that going to happen? So we'll, 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 time will tell obviously, but like I said, getting him to commit to certain times and, uh, is a win. So it's a win without question. I'm excited to see what they do with the rock and, and just everything that's happening over in WWE. But since we've covered everybody else and, and their brother during this open, before we talk about the undertaker today, we should mention that as folks are listening to this wrestle kingdom is ending wrestle kingdom 2024 is happening as you and I are speaking tonight. Uh, but by the time folks are listening to this, uh, it, it'll be wrapping up and we'll have a handle on, on the who, what, where, and why of the biggest new Japan show of the year. Of course, at the end of the year, it was announced that uh, Tanahashi is going to be leading the charge from an office capacity. He'll be challenging yep. Zack Sabre Jr. on this card for the new Japan world television championship. Lots of great AEW stars on the show as well. Will Ospreay will be in a three-way with David Finley and John Moxley. I think most of our listeners are very familiar with Will Ospreay and John Moxley, but I'm excited for them to see David Finley, who I know you hold in high regard. And how about the uh, co-main event? What I'm maybe most interested in, Okada and Brian Danielson. In, in any other world, this is a dream match, but that dream is coming true. Brian Danielson has uh, been a, a real road warrior, suffering injury after injury, but somehow putting on incredible matches over the last year. He's not quite at 100%, but I know we're going to get him at his best against Okada. What do you expect in that match, Jim? Oh, uh, just amazing results. You know, both those guys are ultimate pros. Uh, both have a lot of pride, character, integrity, in-ring integrity, which is important. Uh, I, I expect him to have a hell of a match and tell him an amazing story. You know, nobody's told better stories in the ring in the last several weeks, uh, than, uh, Brian Danielson, right. He's, he's just been amazing. And he, he connects all the dots. He wrestles to a, a talent's strength. And that's, uh, that's pretty important. And, uh, so I, I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, Brian is a leader. I think he'll be a part of AEW long after his uh, last in-ring appearance uh, is confirmed. So, uh, but I think it'll be a masterpiece. You know, the expectations are high on Milcher scale, scale of star ratings. You know, you got to believe that they're going to want to, uh, have a classic. Oh, and, and, the, and the expectations of this classic are, are, are real. So can these, can these guys live up to the hype? You know, we'll find out and we'll see, but, uh, that's certainly a match as a, as a broadcaster. You know, you, you love to call those matches that connect the dots that tell a story. Uh, and, uh, then you got to wonder what's going to happen, you know, going forward, 
we know where Brian Danielson is going to end up. He's going to end up back at with AEW, but where does, uh, Okada end up? Is Okada going to be on the favorable side of the new administration or, or not? And, and only time will tell on that one, but, uh, I'm a big fan of both guys. They're both quality guys. And I would love to see them both in the AEW. One of them, we got our wish comes true with, uh, Brian, uh, but the, uh, Okada, maybe Okada needs to change the scenery. Just, just talking and thinking out loud here, but, uh, he's, he's gifted. And, uh, you know, I've called some of his matches back in the day when I was doing work for, uh, AEW or excuse me for, uh, uh, new Japan with access TV back in, back in the old days. Uh, and I became a huge fan of Okada's work. He's silky smooth. He sometimes, <laughs> I said this one time about a uh, flare and steamboat. They're, they're flawless. And sometimes their matches were too perfect. Uh, they didn't make any mistakes. They had no fumbles. Uh, they handled every kickoff and every pass cleanly. And, uh, that's Okada. He's just, he's a amazing talent. And, uh, so but where he goes after Wrestle Kingdom is anybody's guess, but I can see him relocating and, you know, we'd love to have him in AEW. Who wouldn't? He's one of the best workers of the entire world and has been for quite some time, but maybe it's time for a new address. Uh, and we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that works out. But in any event, uh, I'm going to make a point to watch this, uh, Okada, Brian Danielson match without question. I just think it's going to be a classic. The way to watch it, if you're interested, is to sign up for New Japan Global or New Japan World, rather. It's only $9.99 a month here in the United States. It is a subscription service, and that makes me think about our friends at Rocket Money. You see, you might be like Jim and I and really want to see Okada and Brian Danielson, so you might go sign up for that service, but you're really going to watch it next month. I hope you do. I hope you love it. But what if you just sign up and watch that one match and forget about it? Boy, that's happened to me with a lot of other services. I didn't think I would fall for that, but it turns out I do. Hey, I got what I wanted. I watched the show. I turned the TV off. I move on with my life. But guess what? They keep billing my account every single month. That is until I found out about Rocket Money. You see, Rocket Money is this incredible finance app. And I mean it. They can go ahead and make your life so much easier. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels all of your unwanted subscriptions. It helps you monitor your spending, and it even helps you lower your bills. And this, I didn't think was an issue for me. I thought, I'm on top of that. I got it. Nope. I was wasting hundreds of dollars a year. I'm talking about a mountain of cash, and it was silly stuff. My wife and I both signed up for the same streaming service, but we watched TV together. But with Rocket Money, I can now see all of my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with one tap. I never have to pick up the phone and talk with customer service or send a bunch of emails back and forth. Not only that, Rocket Money can even try to help you get a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And check this out. They'll even help you negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you've got to do is take a picture. How about that? They take care of the rest at Rocket Money. Rocket Money has saved over 5 million users, an average of $720 a year. We're talking more than $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash JR. That's rocketmoney.com slash JR. Rocketmoney.com slash JR. All right, so Jim, let's talk about the reason we're here. The Undertaker. We've talked about The Rock. We've talked about AEW. We've talked about New Japan. Oh, you know what? I said we were going to talk about The Undertaker. We got to talk about our personal friend, Raphael Morphy. Because uh, I'm a big fan of Raphael. I know you are too. One of your very best friends. I mean, almost like your surrogate son or something. I mean, your long lost son. I know you guys have a great tight relationship. But I'm so happy for him personally. I wasn't going to spill the beans on the Barclays thing, but I'm glad you did. Because I just want to add some context. This guy has a young family, a young son, who's a damn baseball prodigy, you tell me. And I know he's super thrilled to not have to be on the road all the time. He gets to you know, live and work and sleep in his hometown every night. This is a huge opportunity for Raphael. And it's rare that you see someone quote unquote, leave the wrestling business. It feels like there's a lot of lifers in that space, but I couldn't be happier for him, man, to know that his quality of life with his family, his real life is going to go through the roof because of this move. Yeah. He's going to eliminate a bunch of plane flights. Uh, and that's important for travelers, especially weekly travelers. So, uh, uh, Barclay center is one of the biggest, uh, most impressive venues in the, in the, in the world. So, uh, Raphael, they, they sought out him and, uh, he, uh, closed the deal. It's just, uh, but he's been, he's an MVP level guy for, uh, uh, AEW or was, and uh, I'm happy for him as well. I think it's a good, good move. Uh, I guess uh, you, you know, whoever's, I don't know who's going to take his place, quite frankly. Uh, uh, and I'm sure it'll be a good person. Uh, they have big shoes to fill with Raphael cause he's so skilled. You know, I worked with Raphael for over a decade at eight at uh, WWE. Uh, and he always did a great job. He was just, he was a very valuable guy since the beginning, beginning of AEW. So I'm, I'm really happy for him and his family. Well, you know that you don't have to go to the airport every week to catch a flight in today's airplane flight world. Uh, that's another win. And so like you said, Raphael's little boy just had his ninth birthday and he is a baseball prodigy. He's a, you know, I've gone to watch him practice many times. He's got a live arm, uh, just absolutely astonishing how hard he can throw and, and how his control of his pitches and, uh, so, and he's a good hitter. So he's, he's got a future there and Ra- and Raphael now will have an opportunity to be more hands-on for his son and, uh, and be more, uh, uh, aware and be more, uh, t- tuned in to, uh, his boy's future and, uh, you know, being able to be a dad at home and, and take care of your family is, uh, without getting on an airplane every single week is a big win. So. Uh, Barclays came after Raphael and, and, uh, obviously he liked what they had to say and, uh, he'll do a great job for them. You know, I, I, I did an interview with, uh, their decision makers, uh, just as a, you know, they wanted to talk to me about how, Raf, you know, who's, who's Raphael, how does he do? What's, what does he do? So, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a very optimistic that this is a, a great hire for, uh, uh, Barclay center. Uh, you know, Raphael was telling me the other day, you know, they got big events, March Madness is coming up, uh, tournaments, 
uh, you know, they got the, they got an NBA franchise. So, uh, he's, he's got, he's done, he landed in a, in a really good spot with a quality company. And I, I'm sure he's going to do a great job. Just very conscientious. The thing about, you know, I said this about talents and Raphael is a talent. There's no doubt. Uh, but boy, you know, when you're a former college athlete, like Raphael was playing baseball at Boston college, uh, he's uh, very competitive. So I'm sure he's going to do a great job and, uh, I'm proud, happy for him, you know, instead of going to LaGuardia or Kennedy or whatever to fly out of that crazy place known as New York city, uh, he's, uh, he's going to be able to take a, either the train to work or a easy drive. So he's, he's winning already in that regard. He's going to be able to spend more time with his son and, and his wife. And uh, I think that's good. So he's, uh, He's the right man for the job and, and he'll be missed. There's no doubt about that. He did a terrific job in a, in AEW and, uh, and I'm happy for him. You know, it's a, it's a great move. Took a lot of courage to get out of your comfort zone because he'd been in, entrenched in pro wrestling for so long. You know, he worked at uh, WWE, as I mentioned, he's worked at, uh, I think Raphael worked at, had a little stint at TNA. He did. Yeah. Back in the day. Uh, so, you know, good for him. Good for him. And, but you're right. You don't see too many guys leaving wrestling because you get indoctrinated and you get kind of, kind of, uh, corralled, shall we say, not wanting to leave the business. And that's just somebody that's been now in the business for 50 years. I don't want to leave it either, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out for him, but he's, he'll be missed. There's no doubt about that. He'll be missed. And I'm sure that whomever takes this place will be. Uh, as dedicated, or at least we hope so, as dedicated and as hardworking uh, and skill with the skill set that Raphael has, uh, I think he's going to do a great job for uh, for Barkley Center, and he's going to. And then whoever takes his place has got a roadmap as to what they need to be and what they need to do uh, to be as effective as Raphael was for AEW. So good for him. It's a win-win for everybody involved, uh, and I think he'll. I think he's going to do great, Connie. I really do. I think he'll do great. He's still a young guy. He's got many years left, productive years left. So we'll see how 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 it transpires. But I'm very optimistic for all involved on both sides of this issue that they've both made the right decision. I'm excited for what's next for Raphael and what's next for AEW. We should mention uh, briefly too. There's a couple other folks who recently finished up with AEW, not just Andrade and um, and our pal Raphael, but Dana Massey, uh, Matt Jackson's wife, uh, who I worked closely with at the very first Starcast, and just thought she was sort of the uh, the merchandise engine behind the Young Bucks pre AEW. She was a yep. day one AEW person. She's finished up her deal at the end of the year, along with QT Marshall, another day one guy. Uh, he started out as Cody's assistant, I believe, and you know then became an executive or a vice president or whatever you want to call it with the company. Uh, but two other big names who were, uh, you know, leaving AEW. What was your experience like with QT Marshall and Dana Massey? QT's a hungry guy. He he wants to live his dream as being a a wrestler on a high level. He's got good skills. Uh, I think he'll do fine. Uh, he's loyal and he's dedicated, passionate about the business. And you let us see guys like that live their dream. So we wish him the very, very best. 
Uh, he's underrated as hell in the, in the ring and can, uh, has a skill set. He can work just about anybody in my opinion. So he'll do, he'll do a good job. Connie. He's a, uh, he loves wrestling and he, all he wants to do is be a star. And I say all that's a pretty good goal, pretty good goal to have. So, uh, I'm, I'm pulling for QT. He's a, he's a, he's a good dude. And he took a lot of bullshit as far as, you know, when you get in that role of being able to make, to facilitate a decision, it can be daunting. And, uh, it's sometimes it's not a kind job. So, uh, but he'll, he'll do fine and he'll end up on his feet because there's not enough great workers. He's a great worker. He really is. He just hasn't had the opportunity, uh, to, to, to show that and demonstrate that such. So he'll do fine. And he'll, he'll, I have no worries about QT. He'll be all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about why we're here now that we've caught up on all the news and notes. We're here to talk about the evolution of the undertaker and you had a front row seat for most of this. I think that the first time you would have seen Mark Calloway would have been in your time in WCW as mean Mark Callis. Did you see any of his work, whether it was Memphis or world-class before that, or is WCW really your first exposure? No, I saw a lot of, uh, Mark's work in, uh, uh, in from, from world-class, uh, boomed into Oklahoma on the cable system. Mm. Uh, so, uh, I saw a lot of his work there and what I saw was a big athletic, an athletic big man. And I have a, uh, I have a like a liking for athletic big men. You know, cowboy always said athletic big men draw money. Uh, because they, you, you notice them walking through an airport or whatever. And when you're close to seven feet tall, uh, you're going to get noticed without question. So, uh, I saw him in, in Dallas and just thought, uh, what a, what a gifted athlete this big son of a gun was, uh, again, he's played basketball and he's had good hand and eye coordination run. He could, his feet were not two left feet. They're, they're where they're supposed to be. So I'm, uh. I was always a big fan of his work. You know, you can't replicate that size and that athleticism. Uh, uh, and he was passionate about getting to the top and seemingly was going to do whatever it took to get there. Uh, and, and not take no for an answer, shall we say. Over in WCW, when he makes his debut as mean Mark Callis, I mean, that would have been the first time I got to see him. And I remember you describing him on WCW TV as he had a fondness for snakes and Ozzy Osbourne. Um, is that, is that, uh, Jr. just freestyling trying to build a character or had you really had a conversation with him about Ozzy Osbourne and pet snakes? I think it's a, a little of both. I, th I think, you know, uh, try to give him an identity, give him some things that people could hang their hats on, uh, was important because he was brand new. Nobody knew anything about him. You know, he was just this big. Indie wrestler from Texas. Uh, and, uh, I feel bad for him this week. Cause you know, he's a huge Texas football fan mm -hmm. and, uh, that was, he suffered a tough loss too. When they got, when they uh, lost to Washington and that quarterback for Washington's amazing. Pinnock, 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 uh, there's, that was one of the prettiest long balls I've ever seen. It, it hitting guys in stride. It was pretty, pretty terrific. 
But he, uh, he you, was committed to gotten, Tennessee, by the way. Did you know that? I didn't know that he was committed to Tennessee, and and I guess uh, Jeremy Pruitt didn't see in him what Butch Jones did, so they didn't pursue him anymore, and he wound up going to Washington. I think it worked out just fine for him, undefeated in the national championship. Pretty yeah. strong showing. Pretty strong showing, no doubt about that, and it sets up a great national championship game on Monday night. You know, you got to wonder what that's going to do to Monday Night Raw. Uh, you can't do it any favors. No, uh, I don't think. You know, you, you wouldn't think it's the you're going to watch one college football game a year. The national championship game would be it. So uh, we'll we'll see how that that that, that they, how that evolves. I'm trying to say easy for me to say. So, uh, but I, I'm a big fan of uh, Undertaker. I have been since the day one, and and that was before I even got to know him uh, to see how committed he was. How passionate he was, and what kind of a, uh, you know, I've talked about this a lot about aptitude. And this take did Taker have the aptitude to be a pro wrestling star? Well, the obvious answer to that is yes. You know, he he knew what he wanted to do, and he knew what he wanted to be, who he wanted to be. So uh, I'm a, I'm a I've always been a fan of his work. Maybe more importantly, I've been a fan of his character and his integrity. You know, Taker became the un doubted locker room leader of WWE. And, uh, I don't think there's any debate on that situation. He just, he assumed that role and talents have gravitated to him. Uh, he was solid and, uh, you know, you, you could, you could count on what he had to say. He just, and I, I use him as the head of talent relations. I use Taker a lot. Uh, he didn't ask for it, but uh, I knew he could communicate well with the talents. So if he had an issue with the talent, uh, sometimes, you know, you call on Taker to intervene and, and, and to come to the rescue of some, uh, talent that's, uh, not doing well, not, not adjusting well. So, uh, but the, the wrestlers loved the guy and they still do. And, uh, I'm, I'm really happy for what, what he's accomplished. He's made a lot of money and God bless him. Uh, you know, uh, and he still lives down there in Austin. God bless you for that too. Uh, wouldn't be where I wanted to live, but nonetheless, I'm a sooner, <laughs> but I love the guy. He's a, he's a, he always could depend on taker. He wrestled hurt, he wrestled beat up, bruised. He wrestled with guys that uh, he was much better than, uh, and his style is one that you got to be prepared for. Uh, so he was, he paid all of his dues. And he did a great job for us. And I'm just so proud that I got a chance to just to know the guy. And, uh, he's that impressive to me. He's kind of the, he's the Clint Eastwood of WWE. He's the Clint Eastwood of pro wrestling, strong, silent type. But when he speaks, everybody listens. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. 
I want to ask you about the locker room leader thing because I've heard that said universally forever, and I don't doubt it because everyone says it. But I do wonder, when when was that the case? Because he debuts at the end of 1990. So, like, when you come in in 93, we'll call it WrestleMania 9, right. was your impression of him at that time in 1993 that he was already positioned as, like, the locker room leader? Or is that something that came in the following year? I think it's something that came, it evolved in the following years, not too long after that, but in the following years, he certainly proved himself to be a great communicator and communications a key. Uh, and he had that and, uh, but you can, you, you, you only could hope that he was going to be as good as he perceived and, uh, and he was better than advertised quite frankly. Let's talk about before he's in the WWF and becomes the undertaker. He, like a lot of other guys was under the employee of WCW pretty famous conversation over the years has been discussed that Ole Anderson had a contract discussion with mean Mark Callis and said something like no one would ever paid money to see you wrestle. And of course we know eventually that proved to be one of the sillier statements in the history of wrestling millions of fans paid to see the undertaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, but mean Mark Callis, do you think in an alternate universe that he could have achieved the same legendary status that he did in professional wrestling as mean Mark Callis or how much credit do you give the undertaker persona to that? Oh, the Undertaker persona was the money. Uh, you know, I, I don't see the magic in Mean Mark. Uh, that wasn't a great name. Uh, but I saw, we all saw magic and still see magic and feel magic, more importantly, perhaps, uh, for Taker and how he's, uh, how he was received and how he's positioned. Taker was very fortunate that he had a surrounding, uh, a support staff uh, that led by, of the boss by Vince McMahon, Vince love taker. And that's why Taker got so many opportunities because he always delivered. Uh, and of course, Bruce Pritchard was uh, in taker's corner and Bruce working in the office didn't uh, hurt Taker's situation whatsoever. So, uh, uh, he had to, he came at the right place, right time, had the right surroundings had the right people involved with him. So, uh, I'm, uh, as you can tell, I'm a big fan of taker. Uh, there's, I could see him doing no wrong. I never had a, never had an issue with him whatsoever. Uh, none. He just was a team guy and uh, he, he, uh, loved being a, uh, he loved his role. And uh, I'm uh, really excited that he, uh, that I got to work with him because he was just a treasure to work with. And I had no issues uh, with sending him to talk to a talent. Or, hey, Taker, can you talk to so-and-so about blank? Uh, and he always accommodated, and he always got results. He was a, he's just a natural locker room leader. And, man, you can't get too many of those, I can promise you. What was your first impression of that Undertaker persona? I know you weren't there in the company at Survivor Series 1990, but I know you're a wrestling junkie like me, and you were keeping up with everything that the competition was doing. and. You saw the former mean Mark Callis come out with brother love. And I mean, it was a totally different character in presentation, but I could also see how 
a guy who grew up in the territory system and working with Watts and, and, and all that, you might take a look at this and say, boy, that's, that's cartoon stuff. That's, that's not going to work. And I think a lot of people would probably agree that with anyone else besides Mark Calloway, that Undertaker character, it probably had a shelf life, you know, of a couple of years, you know, two or three years, something like that. Because we've seen all these other over-the-top, fantastic, supernatural characters sort of fizzle out. The Undertaker is the exception to that rule. Right. What was your no first impression when you saw it in 1990? Did you think this had a prayer of working? Yeah, absolutely, because I knew the talent. Mm. And I knew how hard the talent was going to compete uh, to be great. And, uh, and, and Taker did all those things. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I was a big, I was optimistic, cautiously optimistic, maybe the best way of putting it because, uh, at to that point, long-term success had not been embraced by those that had the supernatural like gimmicks. And, uh, he was just, uh, no, he was just, he was special. He was special. And I didn't discount what he could accomplish, uh, uh, in a frivolous way i just thought that if given given the opportunity and the promotional push there's that word again that push uh that he would be fine and he was and he and he still is you know there's no doubt in my mind that tech could go out there today and have a one-off match with somebody that was skilled and uh, and be successful so uh but i i want to kind of wait and see uh, I'm more of a traditionalist and certainly a takers undertaker persona was, uh, obviously not, uh, traditional. It was different it was new and he kept, he kept what he did, what he meaning taker pronoun boy was the fact that he, uh, uh, no, was just committed to continuing to evolve his character. And of course, we've got these pictures up now. Of Paul Bear on the on the screen with Taker. That was a big uh, uh, that was a big get for Taker. To have Paul Bear in his corner. Paul had great name identity, had great visibility, unique look, unique sound, all those things. So uh, it was just basically a wait and see. I, let's just wait and see how this is going to work out because I believe that knowing the talent as I do. He's going to be just fine. Isn't it hard to imagine as we looked at all those photos that Silva just showed us over on our YouTube, which is grilling Jr. on youtube.com. It's hard to wrap your head around the fact that that presentation could be a babyface character. It feels yeah. like it's heel all day long. And certainly he was riding high as a heel just about a year after he made his debut at survivor series, 1990. He becomes only the second guy to beat Hulk Hogan for the world title. Of course, the first being the ultimate warrior, you know, they did the screw job thing with the twin evil referee and did a tournament and that's how savage got it. But a year later, of course, Hogan got it back. But since January of 84, there had been two guys to pin Hulk Hogan to become the world wrestling federation, heavyweight champion. And that was the ultimate warrior. And now the undertaker. So here we are just a couple years, less than that removed from him leaving WCW. I mean, he's going to finish up WCW in 1990 and by the end of 91, he's the world champ and he beat yeah. Hulk Hogan. Like 
I don't think people, because, you know, the WCW era, a lot of people beat Hulk Hogan. But in, in the WWF, when he was the guy back in the day, you know, for the mainstream rock and wrestling push, to get a win over Hulk Hogan and become champion, that was uh, that's a big doggone deal. Big accomplishment, no yes. doubt about it. Well, it is, again, it goes back to what I said earlier about Vince had great confidence in the character. Uh, you know, he was born, born and bred in WWE. Vince was sold on the, the uh, quote-unquote gimmick. And, uh, if Vince had not been so sold on it, you know, I don't know where we'd be today talking about taker, but, uh, McMahon helped make taker the star that he is by giving him opportunities, uh, that, uh, maybe other bookers would not do. Uh, Vince was willing to think outside the box. Uh, look at all the sizzle that taker is going to bring with with him, with his, with his new persona. So it's all, it's all good stuff. And I'm, uh, and Vince made the right move. Vince's instincts work like a champion right there. And, uh, well, there you see another shot, a good shot of, uh, Paul bear. God bless him. Uh, talk to me a little all those issues Had all those issues with his weight that we tried to address. Uh, and, but he was a huge, uh, asset was Paul bear, uh, to take her. There's no doubt. Let's talk a little bit about that, uh, that undertaker Hulk Hogan match, because this has been something of wrestling lore for a long time. And I know you weren't there, but I'm curious if it ever came up in your conversations with Mark about any potential hurt feelings about that title switch, because I think a lot of our listeners know the finish was, uh, when, when, when he beat Hogan for the world title, Blair slides a chair in the ring and there's a tombstone pile driver on top of the chair. There's several inches, you know, maybe eight to 12 inches between Hogan's head and the mat, but Hogan allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo would claim that undertaker had hurt him for real with this tombstone. Now, huh. when undertaker first starts doing that move, like with Coco beware and others, people did have a claim for that. He was figuring out how to do it, but boy, he knew he had the golden goose in his arms. And his yep. Hogan's head was nowhere near the mat, but that wouldn't keep right. Hogan allegedly from claiming that he was hurt and going to the hospital and all this other stuff. And I guess, you know, after, you know, Taker has his real life family there to celebrate it. And this is this big moment and this high watermark that you've become the world champion and you're so young and you beat Hulk Hogan, et cetera, et cetera. And now that's seemingly tarnished. I know years later, Hogan would come back to the WWE at the time and and well, the undertaker was no longer a young guy trying to make his bones. He was the locker room leader. Well-established at that point. Do you remember there being any sort of hurt feelings expressed to you about what happened in 91 with the supposed neck injury? No, not really Conrad. I'm, I'm a little surprised that this was a development. Uh, I'd never heard of ticker hurting anybody because he didn't, he was skilled. I, I've taken punches from him before that were the best punches I've ever received. Uh, he was just that careful and safe. Uh, and so, so I haven't heard that story. You know, it sounds to me like it's a, it's a fictionalized account of yep. what went on and it gave Hogan an out. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's, that's my opinion. That's not worth any more than that. It's an opinion, but I've never heard of Taker hurting anybody. So, uh, including Hulk Hogan or anybody else. So it was, uh. It was interesting to say the least. Uh, I, I think Hogan was maybe trying to book his own return with Taker. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, and there's not a bad shot of it. I mean, you can see it's nowhere near. And I think Undertaker carried a lot of hurt feelings for Hulk Hogan sort of ruining the moment and claiming that perhaps he was dangerous. But as you see, he's even got him hooked under the shoulder, not around the waist. Like he couldn't have been more careful in delivering the move. Right. Um, and it just, you know, I wondered if you had heard anything, but maybe Taker is, uh, who we thought he is the, the Clint Eastwood. He's not going to be loud about, oh. uh, that sort of thing. Your first interaction with him as this undertaker persona is at WrestleMania nine. We've right. covered that in the archives at grilling Jr on youtube.com. He's going to be working with giant Gonzalez, something that Bruce says undertaker will never let him live down. Right. For whatever and nor reason. should he, and nor should he. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that was poor, uh, Gonzalez was overbooked. He wasn't ready for that spotlight, but his size made it happen. Yes. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, uh, it, it was, it looked like it looked good on a poster. I'll say that. But other than that, I, all the hats, my black hats are all off to take her for being able to pull something out of that match against a guy that was. Didn't have an aptitude for wrestling, uh, just, and you know, he wasn't ready, but uh, that's what was booked. And you're right about WrestleMania nine. That was my first, uh, WWE, uh, a live event, uh, how a nice way to make a debut, uh, for me anyway. And, uh, but it was, a, it was a challenge for Taker to get something out of Gonzalez. They only did a few things that, that, uh, you know, like to do. Uh, you want to do things that will wrestle that work to the wrestler's, uh, strength. And unfortunately, Gonzalez didn't have a lot of strengths, but Taker made something out of that match that, uh, a lot of other guys would not have had the patience, uh, or the diligence to do. So it was a interesting day in Vegas at, at Caesar's palace to say the least. Let's talk about some other interesting days. Royal rumble 94. You're going to be there for that. It's going to take 12 men to put the undertaker in the casket for his match with Yokozuna. And then he rises up and cuts a promo on the video screen before descending into the heavens. And listen, we've talked about it a lot here on the show. You have to to suspend your disbelief at times to be a professional wrestling fan, but correct. This was a little out there. Uh, I mean, you know, the undertaker character, you, you give some creative license to, what did you think of the undertaker descending to heaven or whatever the imagery was there at Royal rumble 94? Well, it was challenging. Sometimes it's hard to buy cause it was so unique and different. Uh, but he, uh, Taker did a great job of that, uh, communicating that to the audience of what was really going on. So, uh, but it was different. It was unique. And, uh, it was, uh, like I said before here on the show, uh, you know, wrestling fans like new, they like surprises and they like to, for the booking to stay one step ahead of the, uh, uh of the, of the, of the crowd. And he did that. He, he kept reinventing himself and adding new wrinkles to his game that, uh, ended up being very positive, uh, wrinkles. And he did a great job there. Quite frankly, just did a great job. Cause he didn't rest on his laurels, that character, he could have settled into a routine and there's no doubt he didn't have a, he had a routine to some degree, but he was just, uh, constantly trying to add new, new, another pitch 
you know, if you're a, if you're a baseball player and you're throwing the heat somewhere along the way, you got to let up on it a little bit and, and uh, manipulate the strike zone. And, and Taker was always willing to try new pitches, so, shall we say? So, uh, but, but he was, he had no issues doing that. He just, uh, I think that's really important. All the great stars that I've seen in my career, 50 years now, uh, you know, he was one of the leaders of that, uh, that revolution continue to get better and to add new wrinkles to his game. I think uh, that was important and it's still important today. You know, wrestlers today cannot rest on their routines and their move sets, memorizing them. They need to do them when they're, uh, these new moves and these new setups, uh, that the fans can buy into that connect the dots to that character. And he always connected the dots. And was he was smart. Taker was just a he had a he had a feel for his gimmick that nobody else did, and he was able to manipulate that gimmick to something special and extraordinary. And uh, all of a sudden, you do it well enough, uh, you're, you're you're ahead of the game. And so Taker was always to me ahead of the game. Well, something else that maybe was ahead of the game. After he said descended, ascended to the heavens at Royal Rumble 94, he's going to come back for SummerSlam 94, where there's something we've never seen before Undertaker versus Undertaker, or I guess as we called it, Undertaker versus Underfaker. It was Brian Lee portraying the other version of the Undertaker character. And we've got this evil version that's with the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And then, of course, Albert has the actual mean Mark Callis or Mark Calloway. Uh, what do you think of Undertaker versus Undertaker? Is that a little too cartoon and silly for you, or could you get into it because it was the Undertaker? No, I, I kind of liked it actually. Believe it or not, I thought it was so so unique and so different. <laughs> and again, it gave Brian Lee an opportunity to get noticed, and his friendship with Taker uh, facilitated that. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it worked as well as everybody would have liked, including all the talents, but, uh, it was, uh, certainly worth the experiment. I thought so. I, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was a cool, cool piece of business. After that, we would see take your work with Yokozuna, King Kong, Bundy, Mabel and Kama. It's a, a kind of a rough 18 months. He's working with a lot of the big men. He had some good matches with Yoko. I don't know that the matches with Bundy or Kama or Mabel were necessarily show stealers, but 1996, we start to see something different. You see Undertaker wrestle guys like Bret Hart and Diesel and not just big men matches, but like the matches with Bret Hart. I mean, this is not just an evolution of a character. This is showing the wrestling chops of one of the performers here. I mean, nobody will ever get King Kong Bundy and Bret Hart confused about match quality <laughs> and that sort of thing. But right. 1996, it does feel like, Hey man, we're going to let this guy really stretch his wings here a little bit. And you would even see in 96, that phenomenal mankind feud. 96 was a pretty important year for the undertaker. In my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He got, he, he was kind of booked into a box for those aforementioned gentlemen that you talked about, comma, Godfather, uh, AKA. Uh, and, uh, Bundy and all these different dudes. 
But when he moved up a, a, a class and to wrestle the Bret Hart's of the world, uh, that was good for Taker's game. And it was good for, uh, for Brett, for example. Uh, so it was always this kind of a invisible line is, is Taker a baby face or is he a heel? He got over as a star and, uh, whether he was a baby face or a heel, it really was irrelevant. Uh, he just, he had great matches with Brett and I don't know. We can say that about, it's about everybody. Brett wrestled. He, they had their best matches with, with the Hitman. And, uh, I, I just don't think that's an unusual scenario. It's, it worked out really well. And Brett was such a great strategist that he knew how to manipulate, physically manipulate a much larger opponent, uh, who was almost seven feet tall, 300 pounds. And, uh, that takes some planning and some consideration. And, and we saw that we saw that with these two guys, I thought they're, I love their program and calling their matches was a genuine pleasure for me as a wrestling fan. We know that, uh, 1996 not only brings about matches with Bret Hart, but also that fabulous feud with mankind it puts mankind on the map when he gets the win at King of the ring. And then more importantly, at SummerSlam, my goodness, something a lot of people never thought they'd see Paul bear turning on the undertaker. You know, I understand that in wrestling and just in entertainment, sometimes you need to reinvent yourself. Right. But what did you think at the time? And now with the benefit of hindsight, was it the right move to separate even for a little while, Paul bear and the undertaker? I thought it was a good change of pace. I thought it was a time, you know, uh, all the talents that were involved in that decision were for it. They're all had all bought in. So, uh, I think that's a really a key issue to discuss here is that they all were on the same page. All the talents were on the same page. And, uh, so I thought that was important and it worked out very well. And looking back at it is it was the right move to make it. It gave new, new breath of fresh air to Paul bears character. Uh, it, it helped establish mankind as a player. So that's another win. And then it gave taker somebody to work with. That was a six, four and 300 pounds and, and, uh, to match up with taker physically. So, uh, I thought it was all well planned and it worked out really, really, really good. And, uh, you know, Having somebody like Bruce in the office, uh, to, and who had Vince's ear, uh, was, uh, imperative. And so, uh, I thought that these guys worked through this thing really well. You know, Paul Barrow was somewhat limited physically on what he could or couldn't do because of his weight. And, uh, and, and he just did a great job, you know, and that they made the urn, uh, uh, almost a character. Earn almost had a personality and, uh, so it worked out pretty good. I thought it was, I don't know what I'd have done differently, quite frankly. Well, we know eventually the undertaker finds himself buried alive in October and, um, he's going to come back reborn a month later at survivor series with a slightly different look is going to float down from MSG. He's wearing a bat cape. He's got a couple of teardrop tattoos on his face. what do you think of? How we're trying to recreate the character here, just reimagine what it looks like. No longer do we have the trench coat and the hat and 
the purple gloves or the gray gloves, whatever color it was at the time. It, it's it's more than just a glove color change. It's a whole new presentation in October and November's uh, Survivor Series. What do you think of that version of the Undertaker? I liked it. I liked it. I, I liked the fact that it kept evolving. It kept adding new wrinkles. I used a baseball analogy earlier. You know, if the guy's a fastball pitcher, somewhere along the way, they're going to catch up with your fastball. They mean the batters. And, and you're going to have to change up a little bit. Give throw me a breaking ball. Uh, you know, give me, give me, a, a something that shows you're, you're do- dominating and contributing to your, to your own persona. And he did that. Taker, he, meaning Taker did that certainly. So, uh, but I, I was, I, I, this whole thing was laid out really well. And a lot of that was, like I said, I used Bruce here as an illustration because Bruce was sold on the character from day one. He and Mark were Houston buddies. Uh, so they communicated well. And, uh, so at the end of the day, it, it worked out really good because everybody again was on that same page. They, uh, and Taker had a lot to do with his creative. Now he, uh, he could veto things. He could add something. He could take away something and nobody was going to have any issues with. So, uh, he, he did a great job Taker, even in Taker uh, on contributing to his own TV persona. And that's what everybody's got to do. You know, everybody, everybody, I don't know. Taker had the idea to drop all this Batman looking stuff and everything. Uh, have no idea. But he, uh, he certainly contributed to it. And I'm sure when Vince came up or Bruce came up with the idea that, uh, Taker would do all he could to facilitate it and make it work. And he sure as hell did that. It's interesting to think about how it feels like at different times, the undertaker just became Mr. Reliable. And if I had to pinpoint a time when that was the case, I would say 96, 97. I mean, he helps make mankind. He literally gets buried on pay-per-view. Uh, they, they remove his manager from him. I mean, it's all in an effort to get over the new guy in town. Mr. Mick Foley is this mankind character and it works. But meanwhile, we've also got some other moving parts. Shawn Michaels is supposed to be challenging Vader in a series of matches, SummerSlam survivor series, and then blowing it off at the Royal rumble. John is not happy with Vader and audible is called Sid gets that spot. And so, well, Vader needs someone to work with. So at Royal Rumble 97, we have Vader work with The Undertaker. And that feels like that's going to be, okay, here's his next monster to slay, Vader and Undertaker. But as things would happen, Sean lost his smile. So we're no longer going to get a rematch from WrestleMania 12 with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Now we're looking for a new main event. And with Sean losing his smile, the decision is made. We'll put Austin and Brett together and we'll put Sid and Taker together. And it becomes not the original plan, but a heck of a nice little reward for the big man, the dead man, his second title win. The first one beating Hulk Hogan, the second one beating Sid at the main event of WrestleMania 13. It wasn't the original plan. But anytime you can main event a WrestleMania and leave with the championship, it's a good damn day for the dead man. No. Yeah, it's a good day. Good payday. Good, uh, good professional accomplishment to say the least. Uh, and, uh, 
and, and, and they delivered, you know, Taker delivered as always, you never have to worry about him delivering. He's going to make, he's going to wrestle a match that plays to the strengths of his, of his adversary, of his opponent. And, uh, he never failed to do that. I don't remember him having a stinker of a match. He had matches where he had more chemistry with other guys than, than some of than than everybody. Everybody can't be on a par, but, uh, you know, uh, it's been said, you know, Taker had uh, great respect for stone cold, but they didn't have great chemistry in the ring. It didn't seem to me like, and I think both guys would probably admit to that, uh, wasn't well, like it's a crime. Sometimes you just have more chemistry with one guy than the other. That's just human nature. So, uh, but, but till that point, Taker had, had gotten the best out of everybody that he worked with. That's really important. What's well, also important too, because I know some of our listeners are going to hear us speaking so lovingly about the undertaker and say, well, wasn't WrestleMania 13, one of the worst drawing WrestleManias? didn't the WCW pay-per-view that same month outdraw it. Yes. All of that's true. But again, let's remember this isn't a pay-per-view or WrestleMania that was a year in the making, like a lot of the other main events we saw from that era. The original plan was Sean and Brett and only six weeks out. Does all of that change? Maybe a little less. And now it's going to be undertaker and Sid. Hey, we needed two big guys in the main event. We needed a world title. We needed to send fans home. Happy fans in Chicago are going to be happy if they see the undertaker go home with the title. So Vince and Bruce and everybody else was probably trying to make chicken salad, but maybe not fair to say, oh, it's the worst drawing and heap any of that blame, if you will, on the undertaker. I mean, this was the backup plan, but you could always count on the undertaker. And that's the takeaway to me. Yeah. I, uh, you could always, that's the key thing. You can always count on the guy. Yes. I said earlier, and I'm not advertising or trying to promote another match or taker at this stage of his career, but, uh, quite honestly, he can still go out there and have one great match if with the right opponent, because he's just so skilled that he can bring out the best in that opponent. So, uh, I'm, a as what we both are huge fans of the man. Uh, and that's to me is, is more important than being a huge fans of the worker. Uh, the man that played that role is, uh, extraordinary and he still is. Uh, to this very day and Taker will always contribute to the success of WWE and to some, to some degree. Uh, and I can't imagine the talents that if he, if Taker said at, at an arena, uh, at, a, at an event that the talents weren't going to flock to him and ask questions and get feedback. Uh, and he was always been, you could always tell when a talent was more than happy to help out another talent. Decker had a great skill set for that. Uh, quite frankly, this was really, he liked helping. He's a, he was a natural born coach and, and a mentor. Uh, and he had great pride in what, uh, the company was building and all these talents were building quite frankly. So it was, it was interesting in that regard. We should mention in 97, once WrestleMania is in the rear view, we started to hear Paul bear talking about. The long lost brother of the undertaker and Paul bear keeps teasing the secret, but before it's actually revealed, the undertaker loses the world title to Bret Hart with a little help from Shawn Michaels, who was a special guest referee at SummerSlam. It's the first WWE premium live event and major show being held in New Jersey. 
the mayor at the time, or the governor rather, Miss Christine, she was able to make it happen. So WWE didn't have to pay that athletic tax that they had to for boxing events and things like that. And it was a hugely successful SummerSlam in 1997. But when it's over with, now we've got to shift gears. By the time we get to October, we've had a series of matches with Shawn Michaels. They main evented the September pay-per-view without the title. Brett's the champ. He's going to be defending against the Patriot, but that doesn't go on last. It's Brett and Shawn. Or I'm sorry, it's uh, it's Undertaker and Shawn. And Undertaker would actually do the uh, suicida, I think, is is the is the phrase that Excalibur would use. The Undertaker goes flying over the top rope to the floor at that September Ground Zero show. And a month later, now we've got to create a new cage match. We know it as Hell in a Cell. And that's his first Hell in a Cell. It is the first Hell in a Cell. And it's the first chance we get to see Kane, uh, the real-life Glenn Jacobs, who had suffered through a couple of really bad gimmicks in WWE, whether it was fake Diesel or Isaac Yankum. And when you look back at some of the stuff he did in Memphis and Smoky Mountain, Maybe those weren't even the worst ones, but still Kane is here in 1997. What an important year. We talked about how critical 96 was, but 97 equally. So main eventing WrestleMania, uh, the, the whole Kane storyline, the, the big pay-per-view success at SummerSlam, lots of really cool stuff happening to the undertaker here in 97. And it pays off at WrestleMania in 98, of course. In storyline, The Undertaker refuses to fight his brother, and The Undertaker is actually lit on fire at that Royal Rumble in 1998 in the coffin. So he comes back at WrestleMania 14, 1998, where the Austin era begins at the end of the night. But The Undertaker pins his brother Kane after not one, not two, but three tombstones. When you first saw the Kane character... Did you assume, I mean, at the time I thought, okay, he'll come in with this Undertaker's brother gimmick for a while and they'll do that a year or two and then that'll run its course and then that character will have to move on. What else can we do with this brother storyline? Little did we know we'd be doing it for like 20 more years. What'd you think of that, <laughs> that Kane character when you first saw it? I'd like to tell you that I had, uh, the premonition it was going to be a hit, but, uh, uh, I, I, I'm not that smart. Uh, I didn't think it would last this long because that's a match that you can just pull out of the, let's have undertaker, uh, King reunion and or something along those lines. You, it was always there to book if you needed it. Uh, so I was a, a big fan of, uh, of both those guys. I signed, I signed a Glenn, uh, from Smoky mountain or Cornette there and territory at that time. So, uh, yeah, I, I, they just, they, they had great chemistry. They had great feel for each other. They had respect for each other. They liked each other. And uh, taker was, was kind enough to give of himself to, uh, to Glenn because Glenn was a guy that can't replicate those guys. You can't manufacture those guys. He's an athletic big man. And, you know, he was, Glenn was close to seven feet tall, as we all know. He was 300 pounds, as we all know. But he was very athletic. He was a college athlete. He, he didn't have two left feet. He was just really, really, really good on his feet. He's athletic, agile, coordinated. And Taker saw all those things and said, I want, I want to get some of this because we can have some great matches together. And 
And they proved that to be very true. It was, uh, something nobody saw coming this decades long rivalry and feud and partnership, the brothers of destruction, if you will. But after WrestleMania, where a lot of people maybe thought that's the end, that's not the end. We get an Inferno match. In fact, the world's first ever or the WWE's first ever Inferno match where they're literally going to surround the ring with fire. Boy, we, yeah. we have a lot of confidence in the undertaker to be superhuman. <laughs> He's a real guy folks. Maybe this wasn't the best idea. Uh, and, and the newsletters at the time, this is way back in 1998. If you can believe that Dave Meltzer was saying, you know, these injuries have piled up so much on Mark Calloway that he's going to have to be seriously considering retirement. I mean, it was discussed wow. a lot in 1998 in the newsletters and we know it wouldn't happen for decades later. Do you remember having concerns whether or not he could continue? No. Absolutely not. Uh, I, we knew he was, you know, he didn't take any time off and he, and he, and a guy that big needs time off to re replenish their batteries and to re freshen up, shall we say, but retirement, absolutely not, not going to happen. We know that 1998 would be another special year for the undertaker, not only because he's going to wrestle his brother at, at WrestleMania and then have an inferno match, but oh, by the way, that summer, he's going to nearly kill a man He's going to throw mankind off of the hell in a cell, a match that will be synonymous with mankind, Mick Foley and the undertaker and yourself forever. Right. We've talked about that in the archives as well. Grilling Jr. on youtube.com, but we start to see a darker side of the undertaker character. We, we we're talking about the evolution of this persona. Well, he aligns himself with his brother, Kane. He turns heel and the ministry of darkness is born. And we right. see a presentation of the undertaker that is much darker than we've ever seen. Maybe he's a cult leader. Some would say it even had a satanic vibe. I know there was some controversy around this presentation of the character and even him having the giant undertaker symbol where we would strap Stephanie and McMahon. And then later stone cold and fans online would say, oh, he crucified him. And of course, Michael Cole would clarify, no, it's a symbol on commentary. Um, <laughs> what do you think of this darker version, this ministry of darkness version of the under? Well, it became new Conrad. It became new again. And that's again, one of our issues that we talk about is can talents continue to reinvent themselves? Taker could do that. And he did that. He had the courage to, to deviate from what had been working to try to do something different that also would be working. And, uh, so he had the courage to do that. A lot of talents don't, I just, they find that comfort zone and they stay in it. And, uh, that's a kiss of death for a pro wrestler. You can't got to continue to change your game and Taker was willing to do that and do it successfully. So, uh, uh, I was always in a wait and see thing with some of this, uh, supernatural stuff. It, it, it admittingly was not my cup of tea as a broadcaster, but I've always believed that if you can put it on the monitor, I can call it. That's my take on it. You know, it's, it sounds egocentric, but, uh, you know, pro wrestling is not that complicated. And, uh, so Taker was creating some personal issues and and teaming with his brother was uh, impressive as hell. 
they look great together. It was a tremendous, uh, uh, addition to what we were doing. So I, I was all for it and, and, and happy to do the wait and see because heretofore all the wait and sees had paid off. And this one was no exception. I really enjoyed, um, some of this attitude era stuff, but this ministry of darkness version of the undertaker was just not for me. And some of the stuff got a little silly. Like when he gets the, uh, the, the, the big baby face stone cold, Steve Austin, and they're threatening to embalm him. Maybe that's a little silly for me, but what do you know? Eventually we get a buried alive match at rock bottom with stone cold. It's December of 1998. Uh, we're going to kidnap him. The giant version of the symbol threatened to embalm him. Lots of heat around it all. Eventually it dies down. We back off it a little bit, but at WrestleMania 15, and this is what, what, uh, Bruce Pritchard would call the Vince Russo WrestleMania. We see undertaker in a hell in a cell match with the big boss man. And after the match boss man is hung from the cell and they're raising the cell up in the arena with the boss man still there. I don't know, man. Some of this stuff, we're really, uh, getting out there a little bit. Do you remember at any right. point, the undertaker raising his hand and saying, uh, is this too far? I don't know about this. Well, as much as I respected, uh, Ray trailer, the big boss man, mm -hmm. after working with him and cowboy back in the day, uh, I got a great relationship with Ray. Uh, you know, he was a country boy like you and me, Conrad, you know, he grew up in Georgia. Uh, so I, I, uh, but I did have some reservations that Taker and 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 Big Boss Man in the cell might have been a, a, a little bit of a stretch just based on their both their skill sets. Uh and so uh I I but I again I just never doubted the fact that this is gonna be successful. Uh and it was successful as far as uh, getting getting something done. Those guys overachieved. And it wasn't the greatest booking in the world. Uh, it had some voodoo and some hoodoo and, uh, gotta feel like, uh, it's a guy on, uh, nobody does the voodoo like you do. Harvey Corman, uh, blazing saddles, I think. So anyway, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was just another one of those wait and see things. Let's see how it works out and let's trust taker to make it better than, than we thought it might be. And, and he did. The next uh, big thing we would see with the undertaker is the tease of the higher power and that he's going to start a feud with Vince McMahon himself. He's actually going to kidnap Stephanie, strap her to the symbol. They're going to do a black wedding. And then Austin saves undertaker. And eventually Vince McMahon reveals himself to be the higher power. I don't know that that makes sense then or now. There's been lots of rumor and innuendo <laughs> that the higher power, at least once upon a time was considered, Hey, what if we used Christopher Daniels in that role in 1999, that would have been crazy. I mean, we know Christopher Daniels had quite a run on the independence and certainly in ring of honor and, and TNA and impact. And now of course, talent relations with AEW. but did you ever hear that maybe he was considered to be the higher power for this angle? I read that. I read that here a while back, Conrad, and I was a little bit shocked to read it quite honestly, because I had not really heard that, uh, uh, particular concept being played out, uh, not saying Christopher 
Daniels couldn't do it. He's a veteran. And he, he, he would have looked at that as the biggest break of his career. If it had, had occurred, Yeah. uh, uh, you know, without question. So that's a lot. He's coming a long way from ring of honor, uh, and his successes there, uh, by, by becoming, uh, the higher power in WWE. It, it just, at the end of the day, it just didn't seem like it was a fit and, uh, not knocking Christopher Daniels. He does a great job at the AEW and, and he's a very talented worker. And he does a great job as an agent, you know, he does nice finish work. Uh, but, uh, it, it just didn't seem like it was the right fit. It didn't seem like, uh, Christopher Daniels at that point in time was, uh, over enough to pull off this role and, uh, for whatever reason, it just never came to fruition. The corporate ministry is going to rule the WWF and that leads to, uh, the undertaker defeating Steve Austin at over the edge in 1999 for the WWF title. I think this is actually when he wins the smoking skull championship. He drops it back to Austin a month later. It's one of the highest rated segments in raw as war history. You always knew these guys were money. I mean, they've had a handful of matches together in 96 and 97. But by 98, when they headlined at Madison Square Garden, SummerSlam Highway to Hell, it set all kinds of records. So it makes sense to go back to it on pay-per-view in 1999, more of the same. Austin and Undertaker just had tremendous chemistry together, did they not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they had, I thought they had great chemistry. I'm not so sure the two talents did. Uh, and and they, I know they both uh, had great respect for each other, uh, and they were both big time players in the whole big picture scenario in WWE at that time. Uh, but it was, uh, in- interesting times, you know, again, the trust that the company had in Taker to pull this thing off, knowing full well that Taker and Austin, uh, should be a great match. It, it should sell tickets. It should sell pay-per-views and it did all those things. Uh, but I, I just, I never was a big believer that their, their individual chemistry with each other, uh, was, a uh, a, a, a layup layup sell. It seemed like it was just hard to get to that, that point, even though, you know, the fans loved it. That's it. Those guys, they had great matches, Connie, they, you know, they, they told good stories. They were unselfish, but it's just one of those deals where sometimes you see a scenario that's, uh, you know. That's the interesting picture there. You got on the right, you got Mark Yaden at bell ringer, uh, Howard Finkel, God bless him. And then you move down to our table. There's the King and I, uh, doing our thing at ringside. So, uh, but it was a joy to be able to call these matches. Uh, even though I knew both guys, you know, uh, they, they, they just, it was tough for them. It was tough for them to replicate what had been amazing greatness. Uh, amazing grace, amazing greatness. And, uh, they delivered for the fans, but I don't know if they delivered well for each other. Yeah. I mean, listen, the match quality was never, you know, it wasn't getting five stars in the observer or anything like that, but it does feel like anytime they were on screen together, fans were buying a ticket, fans were tuning in. So, you know, maybe it's not going to be Okada, Brian Danielson, but what it will do is get a whole bunch of people to change the channel and watch it. Uh, once that ministry angle has sort of run its course and maybe it starts to peter out a bit, we see the undertaker start teaming with big show 
But all these injuries that Undertaker has run up all these years start to catch up with him, and he winds up on the shelf for like nine months. And as you might imagine, the character evolves yet again. He returns in May of 2000 at the pay-per-view Judgment Day, Louisville, Kentucky, one of the bigger moments in WWE history. Here comes not just the Undertaker, but the American badass. And this is a, a totally different presentation from anything we've seen from the Undertaker, but probably more of the real-life Mark Calloway. What did you think of the American badass? Did it feel like a risk at the time? Not a big risk because Taker had great confidence that he was uh, going down the right trail. And uh, because we had not been there before, it, m- many of us just had to take a, we had to trust Taker, his judgment, uh, and his, uh, you know, his basic skill set of, uh, of in this scenario. Uh, so, but you just again, because he had reinvented himself so many times. You know, I never had a lack of confidence that Taker was going to be successful in this uh, particular characterization uh, as well. He just was a, you know, he had, he, Taker just, he, he had a great feel for his character. He had a great feel for his gimmick and he had a great feel for uh, how to get the best match out of somebody. Uh, and it put a lot of pressure on the opponents because Taker was so well thought of that Clint Eastwood character. Uh, commanded a lot of respect. So you don't want to go out there and half-ass it. You want to go out there and, and change your game to where uh, Taker can accentuate what's going on between the two. And uh, so it was uh, it, it was just one of those, again, I know I said this a lot today, but when the guy's got a track record of success, the best thing you can do as an administrator is trust him. And, uh, that's what I was doing. I was trust, and I love the look of the gimmick, the, the cycle motorcycle, the shades, the, you know, headband. We're seeing that on, uh, on our YouTube. Uh, and it just was a, again, it took, it takes a lot of courage for a top guy and Taker was a top guy. No doubt. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to change your gimmick, change your TV persona. A lot of guys wouldn't do it. They, they, they couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So, but he was, he was bold and, and he had confidence in his ability to spot talents and, uh, to have matches with people that heretofore he may not have had the opportunity to work with. He gets an opportunity to work with Hunter at WrestleMania 17. It's a big deal for both guys. Of course, at this point, Hunter has been champion, but anytime you get to be in a WrestleMania match with the undertaker, it's a big deal. Uh, that win from the undertaker at. Uh, the Alamo dome in Houston there is going to be nine and O for the undertaker. But I don't even think anybody really recognized the streak was actually there until the next year. But right after WrestleMania in 2001, that's when the whole WCW invasion would start. Uh, as we've discussed many times here on the show, that just did not work. Frankly, it sucked. And one of the things that sucked about it the most is the DDP Undertaker feud where DDP was stalking Undertaker's wife. Uh, I don't think that was necessary. Probably bad creative. DDP was over in WCW. It just totally flopped here. I can't think it was because fans didn't recognize him. I mean, WCW was a big doggone deal. But I know that the Undertaker, for whatever reason, didn't really click with Dallas. Why do you think that was? Chemistry. Confidence in each other. You know, uh, 
it may have been thought that uh, uh, that DDP was, was in a little bit over his head for that audience. Uh, you know, we rushed that whole thing along very quickly. I wasn't crazy about the stalking wife scenario. Uh, kind of pushed my level of uh, believability to uh, challenging heights. So, uh, and and we probably could have done a better job of getting uh, DDP ready for Taker than we did. At least that's my take on it. Looking back at it in hindsight, you know, there's no reason that uh, Page was would not be a good opponent. Uh, he was skilled, uh, had 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 talents in that regard, but he wasn't perceived in WWE the same way that DDP was perceived in in WCW whole different presentation. So I think that, uh, one of the reasons it may not have worked as well as others like was, uh, the thin look, look at the, uh, you know, the, the lay of the land, it just page was not ready for that role at that point in time. Now, could he have gotten ready? Absolutely. But he needed to be presented and prepared for that success. And I don't know that uh, that we in WWE at that time did a great job of uh, of, of uh, preparing, setting the table for that matchup. Feels like Dallas should have been a, a babyface to me, but what do I know? I know that Undertaker was a babyface. That is until he turned heel with you. The Mister McMahon's Kiss My Ass Club is a real thing, and of course, he's going to come out. Most folks think to save you, but in reality, he turns on you. And says something along the lines of, you think you're too good? You think you're better than me? And, uh, yeah, there you go. What do you remember about being in the ring with the dead man? This would have been one of the first times in the ring with him like that. No. Yeah. It was one of the first, uh, skits that I was involved in. Uh, I, I, I mentioned this earlier in passing, uh, one of the key payoffs of this whole thing was him punching me, mm-hmm. him meaning taker. Uh, and that punch was as good as I've ever received. I didn't hardly, I don't know if I, I don't know if I even felt it. It looked great and that's how good he is and he, how good he was. Uh, but it, uh, it looked great and, uh, it, it got over a little bit, you know, it helped get Mark pushed along a little farther, uh, with, uh, you know, with a persona and the whole nine yards. So, uh, but I was kind of out man there. I was right there in that shot. I was just getting ready to whip his ass. <laughs> I was, I was almost ready to explode. I'm being facetious, obviously, but, uh, uh, he, he did a great job. Uh, Taker did. He did a great job with, uh, to help me along and, and, uh, calm me down. Cause all I had to do is make sure my chin was where it's supposed to be. And here he comes. So it worked out fine. And it was kind of a surprising scenario. We had not overdone and overstayed our welcome as far as a TV character was concerned for JR. Uh, and all I had to do was take that punch and, uh, and, and sell. And I was pretty good at selling. Once you knock me down, I don't want to get back up. Next up is uh, WrestleMania 18. We know that uh, the undertaker specifically requested working with the nature boy. Part of that is going to involve him going down to OVW and roughing up David flair in the bathroom and leaving him laying bloody. And now it's time for the nature boy. 
and a heel Undertaker on a collision course at WrestleMania 18 in Canada. After the Undertaker picks up the win, he holds up both of his hands and realizes, hey, I'm 10 and 0. And I think this, as the story goes, is the show where Michael Hayes is the person who points out, did you realize the Undertaker has never actually lost at WrestleMania? Is this the first time you remember the streak being discussed here in 02? I think so. I think it was, you know, Michael's always observant as Michael Hayes is a great mind for the wrestling business. Uh, WWE's lucky to have him. He does a great job. No doubt about that. He's just an old veteran that they brought all those territory, uh, perfected skills forward. So, but I think that was probably the first time that I can recall where the street became an issue, became a, a thing. And, uh, Luckily it did because look where it went and it's something fans look forward to every year, but take her and whomever it's going to be, can that person beat the streak? And of course we found out that the only person that's going to beat the streak was Brock Lesnar, which I still, to this day, am not a proponent of that. I don't think Taker should have ever lost it to, at WrestleMania. Agree. I think he should, I think he should have stayed undefeated and clean and amazing, uh, uh, opportunity. Uh, for Taker and, uh, and and whomever he worked with. So the guys that were in there challenging him, uh, they had as much to gain as anybody. It may sound ridiculous to say, but uh, you know, to be in the ring with Taker at WrestleMania was a hell of a booking for somebody. We know Taker is going to become undisputed champion later that year. He's going to defeat Hulk Hogan, and that's um, going to be a bowling shoe, ugly match in Nashville, as a friend of mine would say, (laughs) but that same year, once he's champion, he's going to have a ladder match with Jeff Hardy on Monday night raw. And you had a call that I think has made that match even bigger in wrestling lore. Was that, was your famous line there? Was that something that you sort of had in mind before the match started, or was it just organic? And those words just fell out of your mouth. Just organic. You know, that's what I felt. Yeah. You know, the, the story that the two talents are telling, I, I tried to embellish and, and tried to, you know, do the best I could to tell that story, you know, climb the ladder kid and make yourself famous, uh, still is lingering. People still remember it. And how many years ago has that been, uh, a long time to, to retain that information from a pro wrestling matchup, but, uh, it just seemed to fit. You know, I, I think I always did my best work when I was reacting organically, uh, in a real sense in a real state of mind. And, uh, that helped put Jeff Hardy on the map again, take her, taking care of uh, a guy that he got a great match out of and he played in chess strengths and, uh, it, uh, it seemed to work out very well at that time. It was quite the moment to be honest with you. We know that, uh, he eventually is going to drop the world title to the rock and that's really just to transition it to Brock Lesnar, but really Taker helps put Lesnar over when he becomes the undisputed champion. I don't think anybody could ever argue that the undertaker was selfish. I mean, you take a look at just what we've talked about so far. He's made guy after guy after guy. Did he not? Oh, absolutely. And, and he did it willingly and he did it professionally. So, uh, I, I was very, uh, he never take never disappointed and very few guys. Can you say that about, uh, he was just 
absolutely phenomenal and, and, and embellishing talent and, and rising, you know, rising those, those high tides, uh, raise all ships and Taker was a master of that. So everybody that we've talked about here today came out better after losing to Taker, uh, than they would have, if he, if they had gone over, uh, they got over. And that's always the old say, the old cliche in wrestling, you know, it's not as much about who goes over, it's about who gets over. And everybody that Taker worked with got over to some degree. And they were better leaving the match than they were uh, entering the match. Super fun uh, look down memory lane here at grillingjr on youtube.com. If you're not able to uh, visualize what we're talking about, Dave Silva's uh, coming through with some great photos for us here on the show. We would we should also mention that there's another buried alive match uh, set up here, and it's going to be Vince burying the Undertaker alive at Survivor Series. A little bit of help from his brother Kane, and right. that leads to yet another hiatus. It feels like anytime we see Undertaker lose a buried alive match, he's going to come back with a different persona. This one will be no different. He comes back at WrestleMania 20, and we're back to the dead man. It is a little bit of a different dead man because he's working his MMA style like he did with the American Badass, but he's still doing all of the old school Undertaker spots. And now he's got Paul Bearer back at his side. This feels like the best of both worlds. The character has evolved and maybe gone back to its roots, but he's still bringing along some of those traits that we fell in love with along the way. Yeah, he's got to sing his hits. You know, it's like going to see the, an Eagles concert. You know, they're going to play hotel California likely at the end, uh, and maybe in the beginning, but they're going to get their hits in, uh, because people expect to pay, they pay to see those hits being performed. And Taker was kind of that way. He was the, he was, a, had an Eagles feel about him. All those great hits you want to see them. You want to, see, you want to experience him as a fan sitting at ringside. And then of course, then that gravitates to uh, the, the TV viewer and uh, how they're buying into the whole scenario. So, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he just, uh, he was always, Taker was always mentally a step ahead. He knew what his character should do or should not do. Maybe more, even more importantly, perhaps it's always been said that it's not what you do. It's what you don't do. That makes it, that gets you over. So, uh, but he's a phenomenon. He's like a Lou Gehrig kind of a guy, you know, he just, just was the iron man. And he pushed himself so hard that he got wore down and, uh, beat up and, and we had to monitor that because he needed some time off. You know, when you get a guy that big, you gotta, you gotta be judicious in how you book, them, uh, because their bodies are just not, not, they're just not, uh, it's not like working with Shawn Michaels or, or Fred Hart, stone cold, average size guys. Uh, maybe can re- be more resilient. I don't know, but I know that Taker needed some time off and, and, uh, we ended up facilitating that, but as you said, Conrad, so astutely, every time he, they did a major angle, whether it be burning him or burying him or whatever it may be, he reinvented somewhere in that transitional period. He became different to some, some, sometimes just small degrees, but he became different. You know, his entrance was different. Uh, it wasn't the undertaker entrance. It was the American badass entrance mm. and, and it, it, it seemed like it worked. It introduced him to the audience in a very positive way. And the audience perceived that they were seeing 
this phenomenal star who's, uh, you know, uh, obviously a hall of fame guy, uh, without question, they could have a hall of fame. There's only one guy inducted to be all right with me. That was taker. Uh, so, uh, I'm, uh, I'm never surprised at what he, what he accomplishes. You know, it's even like right now he's doing these one man shows. And, you know, if you'd asked me this, you know, 10 years ago, I just said, well, he's not, he wouldn't even be interested in that deal. Right. Cause he was so guarded with his persona that he probably would not have gone for it. Uh, but, uh, he surprised us again and he's doing great business at these, uh, these, uh, one man shows and, and things for this, uh, telling his stories and so forth. So, uh, he's just a phenomenon. And I know we talk about that a lot, that word phenomenon, uh, but that's what he is. Taker's just a phenomenon. And he's, he, he just refuses to, to rest on his laurels. And that's what makes a great wrestler, a great wrestler over a long period of time is not ever allowing yourself to rest on your laurels and Taker never did do that. No, he did not. And he's going to help get over a lot of guys along the way. Next up, we would see JBL and even John Heidenreich. And then Randy Orton is really trying to step up his legend killer gimmick. And he's going to take on the undertaker at WrestleMania. Of course, we know how that ended. The streak remains intact, but then we see taker in one of the more controversial segments in WWE history, Muhammad Hassan is going to attack him with five masked men. This is a taped show, but before the show airs, there was a bombing incident in London. WWE chooses to air the segment anyway, and the backlash leads to Hassan being ousted from TV and eventually the entire wrestling business. The Undertaker, though, no worse for wear here. Man, he's like the Forrest Gump of wrestling at times. He's in the middle of a lot of big stuff all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, and it's because... Taker had earned the trust yes. of the decision makers. They knew that whatever they booked, that he had the opportunity to add to or, or amend to some degree, he was going to be fine. And, uh, he would always deliver and he always did. That was the thing about it. He always did deliver. And I, again, uh, I, I give him a lot of credit for, uh, being brave enough, having the balls to change what was a proven Look, let's be honest about it, Conrad. Taker would not have would not have had to do anything different, stay over, no, and stay a major star. But he was willing to do it to freshen up his act, and uh, so I, I've I've always admired Mark for that. You know that he had the courage and the balls to to change what was already working. You know the old deal of if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, didn't apply here. He he perceived he meaning Taker perceived that he needed to change and do something a little bit different. And, uh, and he did, and it worked. It worked in a big way. I mean, we're going to see him continue to evolve uh, the, the rebirth in 2007. When he wins the Royal rumble, he becomes the world champion at WrestleMania 23 defeating Batista. And there were a lot of people who were skeptical of that match and said, there's no chance these guys can have a good match. The undertaker is old and he's beat up and Batista's not that great in the ring and blah, 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 man. They had a great match. They exceeded expectations. He's proving people right. over and over and over again, uh, wrong, you know, and, and maybe the most, the brightest example of that are the classic matches he had with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 
And then with Hunter, it, it, they had that end of an era match inside of a hell in a cell. I've talked to a lot of people who watched that WrestleMania 25 match in person with, uh, with Shawn Michaels and the undertaker. And I even think Bobby Heenan said before he passed away, it's the best match he ever saw. And I think Shawn Michaels has went on the record and said, you know, that's probably as close to a perfect match as he'll ever have. When you think of great undertaker matches, does WrestleMania 25 with Shawn Michaels spring to mind first, or where does that one rank for you? It ranks right up there, Connie. It ranks right up there. I, uh, I was fortunate enough. I was kind of a in and out type basis. Uh, and, uh, the talents were interested in me calling that match. And so that's what we did. And, and, uh, you know, you just let the talents tell their story. And then as a broadcaster, keep your eye on that monitor, because that's what the folks at home are seeing. Uh, don't deviate. Don't look over here, look over there, look at your monitor and, and call what you see, see what you call and call what you see. It's kind of like officiating a football game or something. Uh, you know, call what you see and see what you call and, and, it, and you have a better chance of, of it working out. So, uh, anyway, on a lot of birthday wishes today. As there should be. Do you want Dave you know, Silva to sing you happy birthday at the end of today's show? Yeah. After we go off the air. No, no, let's do it. Let's do it on the air. I think you'll like it. We'll, have, we'll make him take his shirt off. St- stay tuned for folks. You don't want to miss this. <laughs> uh, listen, yeah. there's, if you're going to watch one undertaker match today, uh, I would recommend that you go watch that WrestleMania 25 match because you're going to see something totally different. I mean, really, if you just want to relive some great Undertaker moments, watching that first debut at Survivor Series, that'd be on the list. Uh, watching that incredible Hell in a Cell match with Shawn Michaels, that'd be on the list for me, too. Yeah. But perhaps the match that he's going to be most known for, besides the Hell in a Cell, is that WrestleMania match with Shawn Michaels. They did a rematch, and then, of course, two with Hunter, the, uh, the special guest referee with Shawn Michaels. They called it the end of an era match. You know, it was, uh, it's a big deal for those three performers and for the fan base. And then of course we know what happened at WrestleMania 30, the streak comes to an end. You said pretty loud and clear earlier that you would have liked to have seen that record intact me included. Um, but you actually do get to call one more WrestleMania main event, one more WrestleMania match for the undertaker. It's when the undertaker wrestled Roman reigns at WrestleMania 33. Sadly, this is on the heels of, of your, your lovely bride, Jan leaving this earth, but man, for you to get to come out in front of that crowd and do your thing and wear that black hat and call an undertaker match at WrestleMania, that was like chicken noodle soup for old JR. Was it not? Yeah, it was. It was kind of cool. That was a Vince call, you know, and, uh, the entrance, you know, Vince didn't have to give me an entrance, uh, if he didn't want to, but he made it work. Made it right. And, uh, I was so thankful and grateful still to this day that I got to call that, that match. Cause I, I could kind of see where, uh, the company was headed with Roman reigns and, uh, you know, it wouldn't take a, it did take a rocket scientist to figure that out, but still the other stable is take. And, uh, for the, my love of the undertaker character and my respect for the man, uh, it was a pivotal moment in my career to be able to walk out there get a little entrance, get a nice crowd reaction, which is always good for the, you know, chicken soup for the soul or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it worked out 
it worked out great. And I was so blessed to be able to call that match, uh, that I still, I'm still thankful work with, I think I work with Michael Cole and Lawler. or maybe I'm not sure. Uh, but there are three of us out there and sometimes that's challenging. Three man, t- uh, announced booth. I prefer a two man booth personally, just me. That means it's right or wrong. It's how I look at it. And, uh, so all, all good. So it was all good. I was very blessed. I had a, you know, that was a, Vince was looking out for me Yeah, and I appreciate, I appreciated that because he didn't have to do it. No, he did it. But he did it because he thought it was the right thing to do for the match. It added a little something, something to the match and, uh, anything you could, anytime you can add a little positivity to the presentation involving the undertaker, you jump at it. And he did. And it worked out great. Let's talk about, uh, his final match. It happened at a weird time in the world. WrestleMania 36, the height of the pandemic. And it's going to be the birth, I guess you might call it of a cinematic match. AJ styles versus the undertaker. No audience, but what a story, what a match, what yeah. a presentation. You watch this at home, like all of us, because we couldn't be yeah. there. What'd you think all of, right. uh, the final chapter? of the undertaker story, his match with AJ styles at WrestleMania. I think not enough is spoken about the abilities and the skill set of AJ styles. First of all, uh, he's amazing. He called me the other day to see how I was feeling, which was very much appreciated. Good kid. You know, I've known him for his entire career. I think he's just one of the best in ring talents. Uh, I've got the hiccups. He's one of the best in ring talents that I've ever seen. And still to this day, very, very productive. He's reinventing himself, adding new wrinkles, as we said, how important that is, uh, the confidence you have in one's ability change and change to the, for the better. So, uh, I don't think AJ ever got enough credit for his performance, but taker, uh, but, uh, that's just me. And, uh, but taker delivered again, he stepped up and he delivered again. Uh, I guess a younger, smaller guy, uh, Taker stepped up and, 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 uh, and nailed it. He, there were runners on base and he brought them home. So I thought that was one of the better yes. uh, of the entire year. One of the better matches Conrad that I, I've seen in a long, long time. So I'm proud of HA, always proud of him. But of course, Taker, how can you be surprised? I, I can't, he's just, he's that good. And he's that good with anybody that he chooses to work with or he's booked with. and they delivered big time. I love that match. Did you reach out to him when he retired? I know you weren't actively working with WWE at the time, but that doesn't keep you oh, yeah. from staying in touch with your friend. I texted him, told him I loved him. How proud I was of him. What he had done for the business was, will never be discounted. Uh, so I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I reached out to him. And, you know, I reach out to him here again, you know, uh, I didn't t- text him this weekend about, uh, the Texas, uh, game yeah. with, uh, with Washington, but, uh, you know, during the football season, that second Saturday in October, when Oklahoma plays Texas in the cotton bowl in Dallas, uh, I certainly reach out a lot of times it's just good natured bullshit, but, uh, he always gets right back to me. Uh, and it's just, it's just awesome. Uh, I, I love the guy. I really do. Uh, as a human being, I'm, I'm privileged and lucky 
to have known him to the level that we have built this relationship. And even though I'm not an administrator in that, that company, uh, I'm, I'm very blessed and thankful that I got a chance to be in that role and to help whatever I could do to help his career. You know, we, we paid him well. When he needed time off, we facilitated it. We catered to Taker as we should have. He deserved it. He earned it. And, uh, I would, there's nothing in the, as far as his, the management of him and the administration of him that I would have changed. Just was, he was just, uh, he's phenomenal. He, there, there'll, there'll never be another talent like him. Uh, I don't think, I think he's one of one. What do you think his legacy will be? Do you think it well, will you can use a lot? You can use a lot of talents, uh, uh, a lot of pre-existing talents, uh, reputation and so forth. I love, uh, I love what Mark does. Uh, he's a, he's become a great parent. Uh, you know, he's, he's an entrepreneur in a lot of ways. Uh, I just love the guy. And, uh, if you're a talent and you, and he's at the same, you're in the same venue he's in for any occasion and you don't look him up and ask him questions. Uh, what are you thinking about? Do you really want to be a star? Cause this guy can tell you how to be a star based on your skill set and your game. So, uh, his legacy is that Clint Eastwood character, uh, will live forever. Uh, strong, silent type, but a phenomenal leader. And, uh, I know I asked him to do a lot of things for me when I was head of talent, get somebody that couldn't tell time couldn't be at work on time, things of that nature. But he handled a lot of things for me and he would get results because the talents, not so much. They didn't want to disappoint Jr. or Vince. They didn't want to disappoint the undertaker. Right. So him intervening on some scenarios, uh, was a great thing. And it, it worked out fa- fabulously. So, uh, I'm, uh, as you can tell, as we both are big undertaker fans and his legacy will never would never fade. He, he's a, he's a made man to the true sense of the word. We got a few questions here. Let's do a few here. Uh, Anthony wants to know it's known that taker is, and was a respected leader in the locker room, put in that situation. Did that help or put him in an odd position with Vince? Oh, I think it helped because Vince trusted taker and he saw that taker had a lot to contribute outside, uh, delivering tombstone power drivers. So, uh, but I think it helped him. It was an asset for Vince. It's an asset for me, uh, in that regard. So any, in, in any event, he's, uh, uh, just, uh, like him and, and, and I was very blessed that I was at the right place to the right time to help manage his career. You know, uh, I, I talked to Ole about, uh, when Taker's contract was coming up. And Ole gave me that same line of bullshit, you know, well, he'll never draw a dime and I wouldn't pay the same arm, blah, blah, blah. It's just so stupid. Uh, how do you take a guy that's six, nine athletic, uh, you know, how do you, how do you take a guy like that and not use him? Uh, so this shows the acronym that Ole had in that, that time frame. It was the fact that Ole wasn't a smart guy. It wasn't a good booker, uh, at, at times, but he was hard headed. And for whatever reason, he just thought that Taker was just another big, slow-footed, uh, uh, unathletic, super heavyweight. 
and that's not the case. It wasn't the case. So, uh, I didn't try that hard to get him signed, re-signed because I knew that, uh, based on taker of my talks, that he had an opportunity to work for Vince. He didn't know the undertaker gimmick. He didn't know all those things, but I just thought he'd be in better hands, uh, working with Vince than he would be trying to figure out a deal to stay where he apparently wasn't wanted. And, uh, so I was very pleased with how he evolved, how he developed. And that was a gift for Vince. That was just really, a it worked out great. I'm curious, and I don't mean this to be ugly, but I know it's going to sound like I'm being argumentative. I'm just trying to understand because I feel like a lot of times when we hear about guys who have a relationship with the quote unquote office, whether it's you running talent relations or Vince McMahon himself, that a lot of the guys in the locker room, the boys, if you will, they would perceive that person as being a stooge. Because a yeah. lot of those guys have a us versus them mentality. It's the office versus the boys. It's rare right. that you find someone who can be considered a leader uh, amongst the boys, but an ally for the office. Because if any, we're talking about almost anyone else in that scenario, someone would raise their hand and say, oh, that means he's a stooge. But nobody ever says that about the undertaker. Why is that? Because he wasn't a stooge. He, he wasn't. Uh, that's. He was a team player. He was like the captain of the team. Uh, he wanted everybody to make their curfew type thing. You know, that's using that as a very loose illustration. Uh, but he wasn't a stooge. Uh, he was, he was a lot more for the talent, uh, than he was for, uh, advocating the company, even though the company was, got the end result of whatever taker was endorsing, the company was going to get the, the bottom line end result. So, uh, but he was never a stooge. He was always a, a team guy and he was a locker room leader as we've established. So, uh, I'm, uh, we were lucky to have him, man. We're very, very lucky to have, even if he was off for nine months, Yeah. even if he wasn't working, he still was our guy. And we knew that sooner than later, he'd be back bigger and better than ever. Francis Reyes wants to know, was there any talent or person that the undertaker went to bat for? That really surprised you. Well, he, he was an advocate of so many people, uh, too many to count, quite frankly. Uh, you could tell, just look at that, uh, who's who of who all he worked with at WrestleMania's for yeah. example, simple example, a variety of talents, uh, just absolutely, uh, uh, you know, unique lineup, shall we say, uh, of, uh, adversaries. And he made it work. He made it work with everybody. Uh, and you can't say that King Kong Bundy, God bless his soul, had the same skill set as Shawn Michaels. But this, but the end result was a productive match that saw things that needed to be accomplished, accomplished. So, uh, but that's just Taker. The pride he took in his work, the pride he took in elevating talent uh, is uh, uh, something that uh, I'll personally never forget. Cause he did it the right way. And if young talents want to see how you make somebody go back and watch the series, of those WrestleMania matches and see all the diversity, uh, the diversity of the talents and see how that translated into a match from bell to bell. Just amazing how that, uh, how that all worked out. When you think about the undertakers, incredible 
catalog of matches. Is there one that stands out as most memorable to you besides the Hell in a Cell? Well, yeah, the, the, the match we talked about, I think it was 25, WrestleMania yeah. 25, the Sean. Mm-hmm. That one right there would have to be in the, any conversation. Great matches that I had a privilege of calling. Uh, and uh, so that was, that's a no brainer. But obviously, it's going to be hard to trump what Nick and, uh, and uh, Mark did in the Hell in a Cell in Pittsburgh. It's just uh, can't replicate those moments. It can never be replicated uh in my opinion so uh i know it's shocking to see what happened and all that good stuff but those two guys made it work in a very untalent friendly environment you know taking the bumps on top of a cage and and all those things uh new experiment you know you have we had had previous hell in a cell matches but we'd never had a hell in a cell match uh that required so much bumping on the cell and again, then that then we found out that that was not the thing to do because it didn't hold up. <coughs> Pardon me. So uh, I, I'm, uh, but I think Hell in a Cell and the Michaels match uh, were two that if you go go over a list of all those WrestleMania matches, a lot of them were really really good, but nothing trumped uh, Shawn Michaels and Taker or or Mick Foley and Taker. They just didn't. They just were extraordinary and, uh, and, and how that, how that all worked out was nothing short of miraculous. A great question here from drew Landry. If you had to watch one match, I'm sorry, drew Dave McClay, uh, what persona of the undertaker would you say is your favorite? So we've talked about the original version and how it evolved, uh, through a whole bunch of iterations, you know, I know the hardcores would say, oh, there's gray gloves and purple gloves, but I kind of lump that in together. But then we get, you know, both versions of that character. There's the heel persona and then the baby face. And then when he's reborn and comes down from Madison square garden, you called it a Batman looking outfit. Then we get, you know, the, the ministry version and then the American badass version. And then sort of that hybrid final version that we would see, say WrestleMania 20 on. Did you have a, a favorite version of the undertaker? Is there one that when you close your eyes and you think about the undertaker, that's the one that comes to mind? Probably the original where he started, he kept adding little things, you know, setting up, uh, you know, the no cells at the right time. Uh, probably the original Conrad. And I'm kind of, I kind of lean that way on, on most scenarios, most things. It's like saying, <coughs> pardon me, using Austin as an example, uh, the original Stone Cold persona was something I braced because it worked. He was a, such a major star, became a over-the-top huge star. Uh, but I didn't like the comedy of Stone Cold as much as I liked the seriousness of it. So that's one example. The same with Taker. The original Undertaker, uh, you know, was... I look at him like a pair of Levi 501 jeans. The old traditional jean uh, was, uh, that's the original. And that's the one that fit the best. It's one that looked the best on you. So uh, I, I think the original would be my favorite. But I didn't dislike the American Badass. I thought that brought it to a more contemporary uh, scenario. And uh, it, that worked out for me as well. But nothing compared to. Over, over, nothing overtook the 
original, in my opinion. Well, I greatly appreciate all the time today. I love talking about and celebrating the evolution of the Undertaker character. He sort of uh, continually reinvents himself, like some of those famous musicians we've seen over the years where it feels like they're just always on top of things. And the Undertaker was that for decades. And we're going to take a look back at a different time in your career that spanned these last decades. Of course, you've sat behind the microphone for Bill Watts and for the NWA and for WCW and for the WWE and for AEW. She also did it for new Japan pro wrestling. Next week, we're going to talk about your new Japan run. We'll, we'll talk about wrestle kingdom, 2015 working with Matt striker, how the deal came together with Jeff Jarrett and global force wrestling and fight. We'll talk about Mike today and the show has just a loaded card. AJ Styles is here, Nakamura's here, Ibushi's here, Okada, Tanahashi, The Bullet Club, Kenny Omega, on and on and on. And a lot of other talent that I know you're high on. Guys like the Young Bucks and Alex Shelley and Shelton Benjamin and Davey Boy Smith Jr. and so many more. But we'll talk about your entire run in New Japan Pro Wrestling next week here on the show. We've spent a lot of time talking about your American stuff. Never talked about New Japan yet, Jim. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. That's a fun time for me too, because I was needing a fix. Yes. I needed to call some pro wrestling matches and, uh, Mark Cuban's company, uh, facilitated that. And, uh, I became friends with him and, uh, not a bad guy to be friends with, uh, quite frankly. Uh, so I, I, uh, it was a good error for me and there'll be some great stories there and uh to see all these top talents for the first time in any situation uh was pretty cool for me and i needed it i needed that work i enjoyed working with Josh barnett uh and uh, you know helped him uh, i hope i helped him uh become a better broadcaster because uh you know he's just a become a great friend still is a tough guy and uh you know, every time I see, uh, uh, you know, I had a little altercation with, uh, accidentally, uh, where Josh had to intervene with, uh, oh God, you know, uh, who am I missing here? Was uh, that the, Jay White? Uh, Jay White and his, his partner at the time, they, this, they made a mistake. And, and, you know, after the show was over, we sat down and we talked about it and they were, they were. They felt bad about what they did. I could have been hurt very badly, but I wasn't, thank God. Uh, and, uh, but Josh Barnett was right there, uh, to, to, I mean, he, he was like a trigger on a, on a, on a, on a, on a deadly weapon. He just, uh, he re, he reacted, uh, to, in a way that, uh, showed me his loyalty and, and all that stuff. So I, I, uh, I had a, I had a lot of, I have a lot of respect for Josh. Had a lot of fun working with him, uh, you know, enjoyed going to do it. And we did everything in a little studio, you know, a little soundproof, you know, a voiceover room. And, uh, we didn't until finally, we got a chance to do a, a couple of shows live in the States, which is really cool. There's a picture out there someplace with, uh, myself and, uh, uh, Okada and, and Stone Cold. And because Austin was a, such a wrestling fan, he came to the show that night right. w- to watch these guys work <laughs> and, uh, cause he's a fan. So I remember that very vividly. So we'll tell those stories and, and, and others, uh, but it was a fun experience to say the least. And we tried to make it as real and as, 
significant as possible in a voiceover situation, in a voiceover situation. I can't wait for us to talk about it. And I gotta be honest, I can't wait to uh, get on my back porch. I've got a built in rec tech grill back here that I've been absolutely wearing out for the last 10 days or so. And I got to tell you, your JR's all purpose seasoning is good on absolutely everything. It's the first time my mom has tried it. And, uh, she is in what she would call a reorder situation to steal a phrase from you. <laughs> absolutely loved it. You will too. It's jrsbbq.com. Not only can you get that all-purpose seasoning that I'm so fond of, but you can get the main event mustard, which I understand is a top seller. The Chipotle ketchup is in stock and ready to go. Not one, but two types of barbecue sauce. I like the original, but there's also the hot. And if you're really into hot, can we recommend JR's red-ass hot sauce? All of that is available right now at jrsbbq.com, including some ridiculously low under-market, I can't believe he's silly enough (laughs) to sell it this affordably, Signed autographed trading cards and autographed action figures. JRsBBQ.com is good for what ails you, is it not, Jim? Oh yeah, well I'm biased as are you, but yeah, absolutely. It was uh, there's a variety of things for any taste bud. Uh, I you know we these uh, we had our biggest uh, holiday buying season that we've ever had uh, in the month of December and the latter part of November. Uh, but they're great gift ideas. If you got a wrestling fan in your family or one of your buddies is a wrestling fan, uh, and you're looking for something, uh, to gift them with, right. uh, this might, this might, this might not be a source. It might not be a bad source to explore. So, uh, we got gift packs and all kinds of things. So, uh, like you said, some signed items and so forth. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed that we've got a good product. Uh, Stephen Link does a good, really good job of uh, managing that runaway train. Uh, and, uh, you know, the irony of this is the fact that, uh, uh, we didn't have any, uh, a major outbreak of slow deliveries. You know, you're always going to have some, but we had very few because we handled it the right way. And we, and we did our due diligence and we want to take care of our customers. And that's always going to be the goal. As long as I'm involved in it, take care of the customers. Well, and we hope we're taking care of the customers as well over at adfreeshows.com. You get all of these shows early and ad free. And I want to send a special shout out to everybody who joined us today, Aaron Sheen and Greg Jacobson and Josh Fields and Denovius Mack and Bobby and Amy and Kelly and Jeff. Wow. Just appreciate all of you guys coming and hanging out with us. Shout out to Lucas and so many others. We appreciate you guys spending time with us today. We love talking about The Undertaker. We love talking to JR. And if you can't get enough JR, can I recommend that you go ahead and give JR the birthday gift he really wants? Pre order his new book, Business right. is About to Pick Up 50 Years in Wrestling. And that is available now for you to pre order at jrbook50.com. That's jrbook50.com. And check out this quote from Bret Hart. To my memory, Jim Ross was the greatest play-by-play wrestling commentator there is, was, and ever will be. He brought TV's greatest wrestling matches to life and the many unforgettable memories that come involving each superstar on each telecast, taking you there word by word, guiding you carefully to the finish for one more wild ride. High praise from the best there is, there was, and ever will be, Bret Hart. Order the book right now. It's jrbook50.com. My understanding is that's going to be out in the spring. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, sooner than later, it'll be, right, be upon us. And hopefully we're going to be able to do some book signings and, uh, 
represent the book as it as it should be. But uh, it's a it's a it's the most unique book that Paul O'Brien and I have ever written. In as much as that, the, there's several chapters, but they're all short, so they're quick reads. You're not going to be. Uh, and I I know that uh, I saw somebody the other day had finally bought a copy of uh, 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 of Slobberknocker and and uh, under the black hat type thing and uh, just amazing how people say I sit down to read the, your book Jr. and I read it all in one day. That might be a little overkill. I don't know you, if you can handle it. But this book here is this book here is structured to do exactly to read a little bit every day or read a little bit or you can read the whole damn thing at once if you want to. But uh, I appreciate the consideration for for pre-ordering. Pre-orders are very important for us. So hopefully you guys will take advantage of it and uh, and as we move forward uh, in the process of rolling out another book, which will probably be my last book, to be honest with you. You know, uh, I'm 72 years old today. Uh, writing these books, even though I was such a talented uh, partner like Paul O'Brien, is he makes it easier on me. Uh, and he gets, he gets me. He gets JR. I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. I think when you read this book. <laughs> When you read this next book, you're going to see it worked out pretty well. You're going to like it. I've told you before in real life, I want to reiterate for all of our listeners. I think Under the Black Hat is one of the greatest wrestling books ever written. I really enjoy all the behind the scenes. There's stories in there. I mean, I've probably read, I don't know, 150, 200 books on wrestling. I just consume it as much as I can. And I, I hold it in, it's up there to me with like Mick Foley's first book and Bret Hart's oh. first book. It's phenomenal. And I can't wait to see this one. I'm hoping I know a guy and I can get an advanced copy, but you can pre-order yours <laughs> at jrbook50.com. That's jrbook50.com. And we also want to mention before we wrap up that we're, we have a brand new affiliate partnership with fanatics. And if you're a sports junkie or a wrestling junkie like JR and I, we think this is an excellent way for you to think about supporting the show. Uh, if you use our, our link, which is shopsportsmerch.com, that's shopsportsmerch.com, or if you're watching along with us on YouTube, you can just hit that QR code up that's on the screen now, or just look in the description for this podcast. We'll have a link there, but it's shopsportsmerch.com. They've got something for everybody. If you're a JR guy, Man, they can hook you up with uh, all the Sooners gear and all the Oklahoma swag you can shake a stick at. You can get some Jaguars gear. You got whatever you're looking for. But if you're a Bama fan or maybe you're a Michigan fan, damn you, it's all available <laughs> at shopsportsmerch.com. But it's an affiliate program. So if you're thinking of uh, buying something for yourself or for someone else and it's sports-related, Fanatics can hook you up. So if you were going to go to Fanatics anyway, if you were going to buy sports merch for someone else or yourself anyway, why not support the show and help us out too? That's shopsportsmerch.com for all your favorite jerseys, caps, shirts, jackets, hoodies, and more. That's shopsportsmerch.com. Jim, how about that? We can get you the hookup on some Oklahoma swag. You can never have too much of that, can you? I like it. I don't know how much we're going to sell in Texas, but I like it anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's great. It's great. It's a, it's, that, that's just a great company. They're, they're a big league. Yes. And, and we, and you can, you're not going to be disappointed in the quality that you buy. 
and and so forth. It's almost like that dog barking. Is that your dog, Conrad? It is my dog. That's Ginger and Baby, and they're they're really excited because we teased it at the start of the show. And I'm a man of my word. We promised at the end of the show we were going to have <laughs> our great close personal friend, as you call him, Bull Ramus, come on screen and sing you happy birthday. I know I've oh, sang God. you happy birthday over the phone many years, but now on video, <laughs> we have Dave Silva joining us to sing there happy birthday as only not, he can. Not just another pretty face, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It's not all looks, it's talent too. More chance than a Chinese phone book. <laughs> all right, Mr. Silva, without further ado, give JR his birthday present. Everybody at home, join with me. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, the voice of wrestling, the goat, Jim Ross JR. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Love you, JR. Thank you, Bull. I love you too, buddy. See, Bull's Jim. A very valuable. Bull's a very valuable uh, opponent. Uh, 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 he, he's our valuable. trio. He's the third man in the booth, if you will. Yeah, he does a great job. We love Bull and his son's mustache. We love his son's mustache. I'll be honest. I kind of thought when we threw it to him, he was going to do a Marilyn Monroe, Mr. President. I'm glad he didn't do that for your sake. Me too, Conrad. I'd, I'd have had to bail on that one. <laughs> Uh, join us on YouTube. We're going to be going live in this new year, grilling Jr. on YouTube.com. If you've got a question about Jim's run in new Japan pro wrestling, we'd love to hear it. It's at Jr. grilling on Twitter, Instagram as well over on Facebook. It's grilling Jr. But Hey man, let's talk about new Japan next week. And in the meantime, let's watch a little, uh, AEW and see how this story continues to evolve. We know who the devil is and we know that we'll see Jr. back sooner rather than later. And, uh, Jim, I know we got going early on your birthday. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your birthday. What's on the docket today. Anything fun. You do anything special today? Uh, well, to be honest with you, uh, which I try to be regularly, uh, Raphael Morphy's coming down. He's flying down from New York to see me on my birthday. So he'll be here today. That's awesome. He's going to take me to dinner and, uh, uh, you know, Raphael became such a valuable asset to me personally. He, he drove the car. He, he, we got the, we had, a, we always had a place to go to eat dinner, true friend. And, uh, you know, my experience as Raphael started at a, at a roulette table in, in, uh, Puerto Rico when we had a WWE event there back in the day. I didn't know that. So he's just, uh, become a great friend, like a little nephew or something. So, uh, anyhow, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big. I'm a big Raphael Morphy believer. He did a great job for AEW. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when people come looking for you to, to, to take a job, uh, you know, you know, you got something going on, especially with a company like, uh, the Barclay center. People. Oh yeah, man. So, uh, uh, they, they sought him, sought Raphael out. He bought, he bought in, signed a hell of a deal. And, uh, so, uh, we're really happy for Raphael and his family and, so he's going to come down today. He's flying from New York to come down and see me and, and take me to dinner or lunch or whatever we end up doing. So, uh, that's, that's kind of my day. You know, I've gotten about a zillion text messages, uh, seemingly <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's not bad to be Jim Ross today, man. Well, happy birthday. No. Greatly appreciate all Thank the you. time. 
And uh, I'm looking forward to many, many more birthdays together here on Grilling JR. And we'll see you next week talking all things New Japan with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. It's going to be a great show. Hope everybody tunes in, tells your friends about it, joins us. Uh, and thank you all very much for the birthday wishes. Uh, they're very much appreciated. So thank you very much. I'm grateful. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Thank you very much. And have a great week. NMLS number 32416, Equal Housing Lender. Did you put Christmas on a credit card? Don't stress out about that extra holiday spending. SaveWithConrad.com can help you consolidate all of your high interest rate credit cards into one much lower monthly payment. SaveWithConrad.com has helped families just like yours save up to $800 a month. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And did I mention no payments until March? So don't make saving money a resolution next year. Make it happen today at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what AdFreeShows.com is all about. Get early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders. Plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early, you can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch alongs, Q and A's and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today. And hey, when you do, the first week is completely free at freeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.